So it's funny because it's funny because oh, yeah. Ed screen passed yeah. on the roll, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and it has now been recast. It's not perfect recasting, but it's a step forward. Yeah. How yeah. easy was that? I know, it was so easy. <laughs> oh, 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 Hollywood, Hollywood, never learning anything. Oh. Uh, but speaking of not learning anything, it's time to do the opposite of learn. It's time to lose parts of your brain. Yes, prepare to be stupefied into <laughs> oblivion. This is Big Damn Cast. You are our willing victim. I mean volunteer. I am an overcoat stuffed with melting cheese. And I am not a number. I am a free man. <laughs> That you are. And uh, we've got some stuff and nonsense to talk about. We're going to be touching on Harley Quinn. Oh, because she's 25. Oh, so it's perfectly legal. Uh, we're also Ugh, going to be dabbling into the dark, horrendous world of uh, what YouTube's mascot has been fucking uh... up this week. Ruining it for everyone. We're also going to be taking a look into the Amazon Amazon Netflix adaptation of Death Note. Uh, Amazon, you got away from Scott from the Scott Free. And then we're going to be uh, floating down here. Because we all float down here. And you'll float too. So stick around for that. Hiya, Georgie! <laughs> oh, no, 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 we've got to change that now. We've got to change the impression. We've got to make it like, Hi, hiya, Georgie. <laughs> You're a nice boy. <laughs> Look like you have a lot of friends. <laughs> 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 he only laughed a couple times, but it was terrifying yes. when he did. Yes, it was. Uh, but first, we um, lost another legend this week. Oh man, another another sad dispatch from the comics world. Um, Len Wein mm. uh, passed away at the age of sixty-nine. Uh, if you don't know what Len Wein did, he kind of did everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, Most you, famously, you, you know how, yeah. like in terms of Marvel, everyone go, you know, Stanley created the birth of the thingy. Yeah, he, yeah. I mean, arguably, he was, you know, he's he was the conceiver of that conception of the birth of comic books in modern, like you know, the modern yeah. parlance. But the next wave was pretty much heralded by guys like Len Wein. One I mean, particular book would not be the one how it is now without Len touched, Wein. He touched pretty much every major property mm. on both sides of the of the big two. Yeah, um, but. <laughs> Perhaps most notably, well, not only did he create uh, Swamp Thing, um, or co-create Swamp Thing, uh, but also he co-created the second wave of X-Men, the X-Men revival that started in Giant Size X-Men number one, which includes Wolverine, who was introduced in Incredible Hulk first, and also Storm, oh, Nightcrawler. Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Thunderbird, yeah. all Enwing creations, or co-creations, along with Dave Cockrum. And he, and he plotted the first couple of post-Giant Size issues, which were then finished by Chris Claremont and allowed Chris Claremont to just flourish that, into the run turn that the, book into the greatest thing Marvel was publishing at the, that the point the colossus of the of the 80s and 90s the, from the from the <laughs> mid to late 70s through to the 90s yeah and still like who's the X-Men is huge fads come and go but X-Men was the soap opera yeah and like that kick started yeah. with the the refocus of uncanny x-men when it first came out giant size x-men yeah because uh, i think a lot of people forget as well isn't it that x-men wasn't a successful comic it was for a bit like it did okay in its first year it and never then it did well disappeared even neil adams and roy thomas tried to kick it up the backside towards the end and then for like 20 odd issues it just became a reprint title yeah until giant size x-men number one came out with the new team 
and then X-Men 94 picked up with new stories. Um, and Len Wein, Len Wein did that. Len um, Wein did it, brother. Co-created Swamp Thing with Bernie Wrightson. Mm. Alan Moore went on to turn that into a, uh, incredibly successful icon, run for... icon of, of comics for older readers. Yeah, it's Vertigo. Totally yeah, yeah. yeah. It wasn't at first, it was just plain DC, but then it, yeah. when uh, they launched Vertigo, it got rolled into that. Um, he also edited Watchmen. Mm. I think he edited Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol as well. He was he was he had he, had, he was involved in, in some of that Vertigo stuff. He was a sense maker for the <laughs> Bohemian creatives. You can't make sense of Grant Morrison. You can try, <laughs> you can try, but you can't. You have to try um, every kind of Class A drug at once to be on the same level as him in terms of just getting what he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he was an incredible creator, like loved by everyone who knew him. I mean, there's been tributes pouring out of all. Uh, all uh, corners of the of the comics industry uh, this past few days. So, yeah, Len Wein, we salute you and thanks for your legacy. Um, I'll have a look at some Len Wein stuff and some of his important areas of work uh, going forward. If you keep an eye on the Big Damn blog where I've started doing some more comic articles, um, you'll see something on there in the coming weeks. BigDamnBlog.tumblr.com Yes! Speaking of dot com, dot make, com, make the segue work. Go. Okay. Um, let's dot com this into a dot cannon. Oh, oh. What? Oh. Um, oh. Let's dot com. Oh. Let's dot cotton. Let's dot cotton chain smoke because we <laughs> because we're old enough to buy cigarettes now because Harley Quinn's twenty five, which means she's been old enough to buy cigarettes for seven years. But now we're talking about it because it's a birthday and there's nothing else that happens in place. Her car insurance has gone down. Yeah. Yeah. She's, something. um, she's, uh, yeah. That's pretty much it. What happened 25 years ago? How did Harley Quinn burst onto the scene? So back during the production of Batman the Animated Series, Paul Dini was just titting around with ideas and he thought, wouldn't it be funny if the Joker had a sidekick? Just, just someone, just someone who could tell jokes. The Joker's like, mole. Yeah, like, like so someone who could tell jokes. Like, the, the the gang won't get the Joker's joke, but then they'll tell a joke, and the gang will get it, and it'll annoy the Joker a little bit. Yeah, that'll be fun. Like, we'll show that way. We get to show the Joker being annoyed and 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 petty, and this would be cool. So during the um, setup of the episode, the Joker's favor, he pitched the idea to Bruce Tim. Bruce Tim um, said, like, oh, what, what do you want it to look like? And Paul Dini did a little sketch, and Bruce Tim looked at it and went, "Oh, Diddums, no!" And then he did a sketch, <laughs> and Paul Dini went, "Yeah, okay, that's much better. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. I know who'll play her. I can't remember the name of the soap, but Paul Dini's actor friend Arlene Sorkin yeah. had been in a soap uh, slash comedy where there was a dream sequence in one where she was a court jester, and it had stuck in his <laughs> mind. And he went, she'd be perfect. Like, her, like she's she got that drawing kind of accent. And it'd be like, that'd be kind of funny to hear coming out of a clown. <laughs> this would be fun. So he caught in touch with Arlene. He said, will you come in? Will you record this? And she went, yeah, absolutely. And then she came. She did the Joker's favour and a couple more episodes because they'd sprinkled Harley into a couple more Joker episodes. And by the end of the first broadcast of episodes, like the first full season, people were like, that character is great. Can we have more, please? She's perfect! And Harley Quinn was born, and and here she is today. But this past week, she turned 25. The Joker's favour was broadcast 25 years ago, God, in 1992. Um, yeah, but we're, we're only a bit older than Harley Quinn, which makes me feel weird thinking about it, because she feels like she's always been there. Yeah, she just became so popular. 
and then when they rolled her into the comics, uh, she just had such uh, popularity that she's just become a part of Batman mythos as solidly as... Um, as the, the Joker, Joker. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing, because she, she first appeared... She started appearing in the ba- Batman Adventures, yeah. which was the animated series comic book spin-off. Yeah. Which is excellent. If you ever get hold of the issues for that, it's so good. Well, the art really captures the, the, the style of the, of the show really well, and it's a nice, dynamic, but yeah. clean style. Yeah. It's very accessible. Like, yeah. you, it, it's several artists being basically handed us a very strict Bible and going, this is what it needs to look like. Yeah. But if it looks... If you all do this... It's not taking away individuality, it's giving this book an identity. Yeah. Do it. And it works so well. Like, in ways that other sort of TV series adaptations deviate, like the Simpsons comics will deviate in their art style sometimes, and it, yeah. just, it just doesn't feel quite right, whereas... And if there was anything Batman needed in the 90s in comics, it was an identity. Yes, that's because very true. there was, like, five <laughs> Bat books, and they were all over the place! So, like, Harley Quinn's pop, it's like popping up in the, the TV series comic book. Yeah. And then the TV series comic book did Mad Love, which to this day is an excellent piece of work. It is. And then people loved Mad Love so much, and an origin story for this sidekick that they went, make it to an episode! So during the new Batman and Robin Adventures, they went, okay, we'll make it to an episode. And they did. And then Harley Quinn, I think, made her first proper appearance during No Man's Land. I think that was when she first rocked up properly. And it was just, she just rocked up in a way where they just assume you know she is. Yeah. So she's she's straight up just inserted into the DC universe with no explanation, and there she is. And when people have gone, oh, what do we do? Like, how do, who is she? Where'd she come from? They go, if you want to know, read Mad Love, because it's the same in this universe too. Yeah, enjoy. And it's like, oh, there you go. Okay, like she was forcefully inserted, and <laughs> like a bloody, I'm not going to go there. Mm. Um, but here she is, and I, yeah, I adore her. Favourite Harley Quinn moments or stories you can think of off the top of your head with no preparation by Jingo. Uh, just Mad Love. Mad Love. Mad Love like as a whole. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've not really been love. a fan of like the modern like, yeah. culture to Harley Quinn. Yeah. Um, people uh, really like Gotham City Sirens, but I never really read it. I, yeah, I, so. I enjoy Gotham City Sirens, but it, for me it's more Ivy's book um, yeah. than Harley's. Harley's just a yeah. wonderful thing. I did kind of like the new 52 Harley solo book. Just because it, it had a unique humour of its own that yeah. fit just in its own world. Yeah. And it was largely unaffected by the rest of the universe, which was a relief at that point. Because there was a lot of events and a lot of uh, tie-in issues and stuff. And it was like, just to know that Harley, you could just pick it up and basically get a Deadpool-esque, this is separate experience. Hmm. It was kind of fun. Um, I Yeah, I did, for me, Harley just... Harley is... At her absolute finest for me personally, when she is a feature of a story, like she's, it's not her story. Yeah. When she's like a decoration, when she is the Joker's mole or the messenger at the start of the big heist and skit, do you know what I mean? Like, because when she shows up, there's just this explosion of fun all of a sudden. I'll tell you what my least favourite Harley Quinn story is. Oh. It's Brian Ezzarello and Lee Bermeo's Joker, where she's a weird. Stripper yeah. with a jester mask. Although she gets that really interesting moment where, like, the guy's—I can't remember the main character's name—but he's walking past the door, and the Joker's just crying in her lap in a room. Yeah, just sobbing, and she's just sat there looking like typical, and she's just stroking his hair and smoking a fag and looking like this happens every night. Yeah, and I really like that because I was like, wait, because she doesn't have a, a line of dialogue. 
No, in that book, she just gets naked. Yeah, because because again, in that book, isn't isn't strictly Batman. It's sort of a, here's no, a it's a crime it's... book that's sort of Dark Knight Joker, but more yeah. like Sopranosy, Goodfellas kind of that world of of, of organized crime. Yeah. Um, but in that moment, I was like, oh, oh. Oh, he's not, he's not an unshakable, he's not an unstoppable force. He's not an immovable object. He's not, he's not an unshakable wrecking ball of chaos. He's some kind of really fucked up broken guy. And she's the only one who sees him, like, when he's not. Like, Mm. when, when he's just completely, oh god. Which was weird, because also in that moment, you're like, why is he like that? What's, what's, what's his, what's his beef? It's funny you should say that, about that uh, interpretation, because that's kind of what they're exploring at the moment in Batman. Really, the current Tom King run. So the current, the current arc. There's <laughs> no more coffee in that cup, Chris. I'm trying to get. Um, it. I'm trying to get it so desperately. The, the current arc. In... We're recording at ten thirty. I'm trying to get the coffee. The current arc <laughs> in Tom King's Batman is the War of Joke and Riddles. Okay, yeah, is, I've seen the title. I was it is, one of those where I was hanging back and waiting until it was collected to maybe try it out. It's Batman after he's proposed to Selina Kyle recounting the story of the War of Jokes and Riddles and the things he did at it, which takes place a year after Zero Year. Okay. And it's basically, Joker can't laugh anymore. Nothing's funny. Um, I mean, wants, that's an wants, interesting way to start a Joker story. he wants to kill the Batman to try and get his groove back. Right. But the Riddler wants to kill Batman in revenge for Zero Year because he's the one Riddler he can't solve. Yeah. So basically what happens is they carve up the city between themselves and go to full-on gang war in Gotham. Jesus. And it's a lot of, like, Joker telling jokes, him not even cracking a smile, someone laughing, and then he shoots him. <laughs> Christ. It's not funny. But, like, he's, he can't, he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't find anything funny at all. He can't even smile. And he's oh. just desperate to kill the Batman because he's like, oh. But, yeah, it's, it's, an, it, it's not finished yet. Um, but it's all, it also gives you a, an origin for the new, for, for the, the new version of Kite Man. <laughs> and it actually makes him a really, really interesting and nuanced character. <laughs> and like, and it gives an explanation to why he always says, Kite Man! Hell yeah! And it, but it's, it's, it, it's really, really good and quite touching and Kite Man's really cool. <laughs> oh god. It makes Kite Man cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's an, they're, they're taking an angle with the, with the, with the Joker in, in War of Jokes and Riddles and it's, it's worth, it's worth reading. It delves into the personality a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. But not in that giving away, you know, backstory or anything like More just like, here's how he ticks. Mm. Let's see him try and get his talk back. Yes. Um, but but yeah, no Harley Quinn, sadly. Harley Quinn, like, yeah, well, I was going to say too early. If they'd have retconned her in that, I'd be like, why is she already there? Batman's been Batman for a year. Since, Harley Quinn should be a later addition to his rogues gallery. Since Rebirth, it's unclear exactly how long he's been Batman as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a bloody hell. Continuity. They put, they put the missing years back in, or they've at least made the statement that we're missing years. Everyone should be older than they are. Where has that time gone? What's happened? It was Dr. Dr. Manhattan. Manhattan. Tell us. But we'll be finding out about that soon when Doomsday Clock rolls around, which is the next Watchmen crossover arc, which is in Superman, I think. So. Yes. Yeah. Harley Quinn, 25. Congratulations, love. We talked about the Joker mostly, but Harley Quinn, 25. Yeah, every time now they check for your ID when you're buying booze, you'll be flattered. <laughs> Um, what happened to me yesterday? I'm like really scraggy at the moment and worn. I've got bags the size of actual bags mm. and a fuzzy face. I'm an and a lady a went, time. "Do you have an ID?" But you're, you're baby faced, but you have a bountiful facial hair. I, I also, I'm also old in my eyes. I've got old. 
I've he got, got wizened, a wizened gaze. Wizened. You got a wizard. You got a wizard's gaze. Um, you got a wizard's get. You're like reverse Gandalf. Like you've got a youthful exterior, but your eyes tell of of the ages. Whereas Gandalf's got like youthful eyes. I'm just so tired, Christopher. <laughs> oh God. I'm just so tired. Should, should we call it a day? No. Should um, we call it a day and then leave silence for the next hour and ten minutes? No, because that's what Colin Trevorrow did. Oh! Oh! Although, slightly longer than an hour and ten minutes. Well, we don't know how long that script is yet. What the fuck is happening over at Disney? Um, Disney World. They've lost another Star Wars director to the plague. No, just they've oh. just lost him. They oh. don't know where he is. Oh, shit. <laughs> He's just disappeared. Uh, no, Colin Trevorrow has parted ways with Disney as director of Star Wars Episode Nine, citing creative differences. Now, this is... How many times has creative differences been a thing with these guys? Uh, during the Han Solo movie, on set toward the end of production. Yeah, Phil Lord and Chris Miller were ejected <laughs> for having too much improv, but reportedly. Stop, stop having thoughts! Stop, stop having fun! Stop doing no, that thing we story. stop doing that thing we hired you to do. Yeah, um, and now uh, and also like during Rogue One, Gareth Edwards apparently wasn't the director for all the reshoots. Yeah. He was supervising the direction for the reshoots while someone else did it. Um, so he didn't finish Rogue One, and now we've got because they've been doing prep for episode. They start shooting episode nine, as far as I'm aware, in February. Probably, yeah. Right. Like it, it, it's the, the, the production cycle is a bit different, but it's it's something to do with the fact that it's got a summer 2019 release. That's why, yeah. They, they want one. they yeah. want it to come out on round about May the fourth <laughs> because yay. Um, it's not going to happen. It's going to come out in December. Oh, totally. Because they're going to get it finished. But the story is presumably locked. Well, because uh, there's been discussion there's been... about all that stuff before, about like they know what direction they're going and they had to amend it due to the unfortunate passing of Carrie Fisher. They had yeah. to tweak what they were doing. But that suggest- suggested to me that, oh, we know what we're doing. Like We've got the story ready. We're just trying to figure out how the hell to direct it without creative differences. <laughs> right up the IREX. Um, the rumour is... <laughs> That basically, <laughs> they keep redrafting the strip, the script, and asking for more revisions and stuff like that. So, the uh, rumor is that that's why Trevor Ross stepped away because um, oh, he's getting frustrated with yeah. not being able to direct a solid piece of work yet. And I guess Disney, they kind of need to be hands on with Star Wars because mm. it is. It's it is a, a single story, and they are telling a single story with, with yeah. the episode. With the episodes, anyway, not necessarily plus, with the. Well, plus this is this is the finale of their main series. Yeah. Like yeah. there's, there are currently, and I think they've been asked about. It. I think Kathleen Kennedy said like there there aren't, they don't have a plan as of yet to tell an episode ten, eleven, or twelve. Nine is the the end goal. The other stories set in the Star Wars universe are what they will tell going forward. Yeah. Um, that's not to say that in like 10 years time they turn around and go fuck it we're going to do episode 10 11 and 12 because we don't have any money because <laughs> our Fin Fang Foom movie didn't they're make any going, bank they're so we're going <laughs> to keep making Star Wars movies as long as they can keep making Star Wars movies pretty much what a weird thought that there's going to be a generation of kids who'll be like oh Star Wars yeah that's the, there's all those movies right mm. and we grew up like just three three magical pieces of cinema and then three more that came along the light uh, maybe more isn't a good idea and now <laughs> kids are going to have a well what if it gets to the point where there are as many bad ones as there are good ones actually it is at that point now isn't it Um, I'd, I'd argue the first three are 
good movies. No, because I think there's five good ones and three bad ones. Okay, five good ones. What have we got? Um, the original trilogy, Force Awakens? Yeah, and Rogue One. And Rogue One. Oh, oh okay. I think Rogue yeah. One is better yeah. than any of the prequels. Yeah, oh yeah, I could argue, I could argue, I think I could get more enjoyment out of a prequel rewatch. Depends how drunk you are. But it's not, not a good movie. No. Just, I'd be having a laugh. Maybe Revenge of the Sith. There's, there's pleasures to be had in Revenge of the Sith. I still have a soft spot for Phantom Menace. I know it's the dog's balls. No, but it, it isn't. But it's it not. The pro- that's the problem. But it's not. Oh yeah, I know. It's I know. It's the sweat off of a dog's balls. Yeah. But it's still not the steaming turd that is Attack of the Clones. Plus, there's some really fun, <laughs> stupid visual stuff that you could enjoy. Attack of the Clones is barely coherent as a it's film. It's the worst. I'd still argue that's the worst Star Wars movie. Yeah. So far, oh, yeah, yeah. but we've got a yeah. solo Han Solo film to come, and um, what's it? Episode nine with no one at the helm. So, we'll see where that goes. I, do you know what? Play it safe. Play it safe. Offer JJ a shit ton of money. Well, and just say, come back, dude. The rumour is they're going to try and get Ryan Johnson or JJ back for... Because um, then you at least have a consistency in terms nine, yeah. of tone. I don't think Ryan Johnson's going to do it, but I think we might see JJ mm. Abrams. JJ Abrams return. JJ uh, to the director's chair. But yeah, I mean, this is what happens when you bring in indie directors into like big franchises after like one indie movie. Yeah. It's Colin Trevorrow, he did uh, Safety Not Guaranteed. Yeah. Then he did Jurassic World, which was not great. No. Um, <laughs> and... Oh, look, the inspirational music's playing as we look at some grey buildings. Yeah. Which um... was the same in that recent video game trailer. The Jurassic World uh, like builder... Part yeah. thing, the music kicks in when you look at the grey buildings. It's I don't like, think Ugh. they know what they're doing with Jurassic Park. They're just making Jurassic Park movies because they have to make Jurassic Park movies. Because they sell tickets. Yeah. But um, they're not good. Yeah. No. no. Um, I say that as a man who has bought Jurassic World. I know it's not good. But um, it's like... Is Jura- it better or worse than Jurassic Park 3? I will argue that there are pleasures to be had in Jurassic Park 3. I would also argue there are pleasures to be had in Jurassic Park 3, mostly from William H. Macy's impressive moustache. Oh, yeah. And the... <laughs> stuff. And talking Velociraptor dream sequence. Alan! Um, <laughs> I think it's slightly more enjoyable than Jurassic Park 3. See, I think Jurassic Park 3 just... is more enjoyable because it's sillier. Oh, I was going to say, like, just because there's more visual variety in the in oh. world. Because um, Jurassic Park 3 is just... Dark jungle, raptor. Dark jungle, Very raptor. Silly though. Dark jungle, spinosaurus. Yeah. Dark jungle, raptor. Then again, the pterosaur sequence is pretty mm. freaking great. We also don't have poor um, assistant woman just trying to do a job being cruelly devoured by every dinosaur in the movie. Now I know, I know. Cinema has taught us that we're supposed to wait for the villains to get their comeuppance, and that's probably oh. why that moment sat so ill. Because we were like, she's yeah. done nothing. But if it was supposed to show off random carnage, why was it all happening to one person? Yeah, it was just a bit much. I thought. Um, so yeah, and then Colin Trevorrow did the Book of Henry after Jurassic World, which didn't do well at all. <laughs> um, so I think maybe there's a bit of concern over whether he's got the chops. Star Wars. Big old chaps. Because um, I think Ryan Johnson's kind of proved himself. Because wasn't, wasn't with... tired during the production of Jurassic World. Like, it was yeah, toward the end of that that they announced that Colin Trevorrow was one of the directors. It was after Jurassic come. World had come out. Oh, all right. Um, okay. But, uh, yeah, Ryan Johnson had done uh, Looper. So, yeah. 
Um, He'd proven and, chops. And that was a few years back. That yeah. was like 2012, wasn't it? Yeah. So, it's you know, he film. can handle genre stuff. He can handle effects. He's got... He's got an, and he's got a, as a writer. Well, if you've seen Brick as well. Yeah. That's a really the, complex, the, um, um, noir, complex like, noir narrative but set in high school. So he's got an eye for these kind of things. And he's, he's got talent. Not necessarily say that Colin Trevorrow doesn't have talent, but I didn't see any of it. When you're weighing Jurassic up, when World. you're weighing up, to um, the, yeah. When you're, yeah, we, so, when you're weighing up their portfolio, there's there's a clear dis- it, difference. It's betwixt. clear that Disney rules its Marvel and Star Wars kingdoms with an iron grip, mm. and sometimes that can sour relations between them and their creatives. But that's that's the way the world goes. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Speaking of soured relations between creatives and their platforms. And Disney. And Disney. <laughs> PewDiePie's opened his big fucking mouth again. Oh, what a bellend. Oh, right. So, for those not in the know, uh, was it earlier in the year, I believe? PewDiePie took part in a th- thing, or toward the end of last year. There's a website where essentially if you give someone $5, they'll yeah, do anything. Fiver. So, PewDiePie um, gave $5 to these two guys to hold the sign... That said, it was either death to the Jews or death to all Jews. Yeah, uh, mostly to see because he was like, "I bet no one does it. I bet no, one, of course, no one's going to do it." And then someone did it, and oh, funny story, bro! Ha 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 ha. Except the majority of his audience and people process it. No, it's not. Look, it's adults. No, the majority of his audience is children. Yeah, children and He's young got teens. Fifty-seven million subscribers. And it ain't highbrow uh, content that a bunch of adults are going to sit around like sipping cognac, eating a cheese board and watch together. It's stuff that kids are watching on their tablets. It's stuff that kids are watching on their smartphones. It, like It's what happens when you do nothing but horror videos and Minecraft videos for years. That's where your audience comes from. Yeah. So kids are seeing this stuff. That lost him his, his management uh, and sponsorship from Disney. It also heavily affected... Oh, he lost him his YouTube Red series. Yeah. And it heavily affected YouTube as a landscape full stop. People who make a career from YouTube, like the channels you love, like, and also can't stand why they're out there. You know, like all these businesses. Yeah. They were suddenly hit really hard because about 50-odd percent of YouTube's advertisers, the companies that advertise through YouTube, work with YouTube, pulled out. Because PewDiePie, PewDiePie, PewDiePie being the most successful um, YouTuber at that point, and I think still is in terms of subscription and, and views would, and everything. I would, I would think so, yeah. He's sort of seen to the outside world, because not everybody's on board the YouTube train, guys. No. He's seen to the outside world as, like, the face of YouTube. Like, this is what YouTube is. It's a, like, you know, Danish kid in a room shouting at Slenderman. Like, Swedish this is kid. Swedish, Sorry, apologies also to a Danish he is, listener. He is improbably... A man. Yeah, but that's, they look at it and going, so this is what it is. So yeah. dude in a room, screaming at video games. Okay. And then PewDiePie stopped doing that and started doing more vlogs and sarcastic like retorts and things like that. But people still think of it as it's a dude in a room shouting at video games. Yeah. And a lot of it is Let's Plays and streaming. And, and yeah. Stuff. Isn't it innocent? Let's advertise Coca-Cola. Let's advertise Hasbro. Let's mm. advertise you know, Disney theme park holidays. Blah, blah, blah. And then that happened. And he put that stupid prank out there and a lot of these advertisers went bye we don't want to advertise on your platform YouTube because we don't know what people are going to be putting in the videos easily like we can't monitor this you're using algorithms so there's no guarantee that you can police it so we're going bye and people were hit 
hard. It slashed YouTube revenues left, right, and centre. If you're wondering why a lot of your favourite creators who weren't using it previously have started using Patreon in the last year, it's because this is how they get by now. Like, they get by through Patreon and what little revenue comes through. Made even worse by the fact two weeks ago a new YouTube algorithm was put in place that detected harmful content so that advertisers could feel assured that their adverts weren't attached to uh, dis- like hateful, racist, violent videos. Mm-hmm. Problem was, of course, it's an algorithm, so it's not working properly. And innocent videos, perfectly innocent videos that have nothing offensive in them are being hit by this, which is making them demonetized. So even less money's being made. The the companies that have stuck with YouTube are going to start noticing a decline in revenue as well because their ads aren't getting out there yeah. and they're not getting as many hits and everything. Everyone's getting affected. YouTube could be doing something to fix this, but there is a there is a common denominator in all of this, and it's PewDiePie. Yeah. This is this this is the the moment that he's patient zero. Like this is where it began. So you'd think after having lost his Disney management sponsorship. And having lost his YouTube Red series, what was it, two weeks before the first episode was about Something to go like out? That, yeah. Like, and, and, and having been screwed over so much and scrutinizing the media, you'd think he would actively try to stay away from doing anything stupid or controversial until this past week. And I say you'd actively try and stay away from doing anything stupid or controversial, but I think the worrying thing is, is that he doesn't think this is stupid or controversial. Yeah. So basically what happened is he was streaming player in those battlegrounds. He tries to hit a, a player and this player hides behind a, a car or something. And he, in a moment of anger, he exclaims, Oh, what a N-word. Yeah. Um, and then goes, I'm sorry, but... Oh, what an asshole. I was like, well, you... Wait a substitute one for another. Yeah. Also, you can't use that word, my dude. You cannot. Um, it is. I mean, it says, and the really annoying thing as well is he's got people flocking to defend him. Yeah. Like, oh, it was a heated moment. It just slipped out. It was like, well, if something like that slips out of your mouth in a heated moment, then I think you need to examine the language you use on a daily basis. Yeah. Because if that's and... the word that that's the word your brain goes to yeah. in that moment, that's not. Something that just slipped out. That's something that's there. And there then you that's a placeholder it. in your head. You substitute it with arsehole, which suggests that that's an equivalence on your yeah. on your part. Like to um, you, the N word is the same as saying, yeah. "Oh, you bugger! Oh, you bastard!" It's like, um, now there is hmm. there is a difference between be, between being racist and using racist language. Because that, I think, a lot of the defenders yeah. of him are assuming everyone's accusing him of being a racist. Yeah. Now, some people are just jumping to that immediately, but no one's accusing him. Like, no one, in terms of with a sensible, clear head, is saying, you're a racist. They're saying, you used a racial slur. Yeah. That's still not good. And like, you probably need to examine it, why yeah. you use that. And also, like, fucking apologise. Yeah. And that's try the, and that's do the better. Str- as of like, this recording... try to do better. As of this recording, the most apologies given was that Sorry, but he's such an arsehole. That was it. That's the most yeah. apology he's given directed toward that moment. And it's like, you, <laughs> you're a role model. Yeah, for fifty for better or worse, million people. Like, try and like, and again, he's got a fucking long history. That like, when he first started out, he was notorious for like rape jokes. 
mm. and parody songs about rape in his videos. And like, there's no place for that in this no. sort of thing. And it looked like he'd gotten past that until the Fiverr thing. Um, and it's just like, just fucking, just like be better <laughs> than this, man. Like, considering people are insisting on making you of all fucking people <laughs> the face of this platform, then be fucking better. Yeah. Like, just do better. Yeah. Like, set an example. Don't just fucking reinforce all the toxic shit that's going around the internet at the moment. Just be fucking better, man. I don't want to be U-rated. I don't want to be G-rated. I don't want to be family-friendly. Right, stop. Stop, then. Yeah. Just stop. Because here's the thing. You are not in the position now where you can just suddenly decide, do you know what? I'm going to be dark. I'm going to be controversial. I'm going to be spiteful. You can't do that now. Now, if, 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 if there was a guarantee that your audience were adults, I'm not saying use this specific event, like this instance, but like, if you want to then change your direction stuff, yeah. go for it. They're adults. They, if they like it, they'll stick around. If they don't, no, if, if they don't, they'll leave. But you're proven to be the face of everything. Like, there is a responsibility that comes with that. That success cannot, like, be maintained. If you suddenly decide, no, fuck it, fuck everybody. Like, you've got to be tactful. You've yeah. got to be considerate. Yeah. And it seems like Felix gives no fucks. He doesn't. And that's the most upsetting thing as well, is, is that people, like, so many lives are being affected by this. Yeah. Because he'll have young viewers who heard, heard, will have heard that use of the word in that moment and will suddenly feel like like a safe place, something that they yeah. like can go to, like watch his content like and make them laugh and smile, isn't safe this anymore. This isn't a safe place anymore, no. This isn't a safe place and, anymore. And I, I don't feel safe watching Felix. Another defence that I've seen, which is equally bullshit, is like, well, if you turn on, on the voice channel on Player on Battlegrounds, you'll hear people shouting that all the time. I was like, well, yeah, that's not okay. That doesn't yeah. make it okay. Doesn't justify it. Yeah. It, well, it, they're doing it as well, so like that's that doesn't, that's what that doesn't I mean. excuse you should, them. All. You should be trying to be better. Yeah. You should be trying to be above this. But no, mm. it just oh, it annoys me. It really, it really irritates me. Now to be slightly just... co- now to be slightly cold and and ignore the um, the weight of of the word in particular in the incident itself outside of it just being it labelled an incident. Something that a lot of creators have started to mention, uh, amongst them Lindsay Ellis, uh, of the whole plate, which is great. Yeah, and really um, new episode was fantastic. And um, Jim Sterling and a few others. When they've talked about this on social media and in videos and whatnot, people have responded to them saying, right, no, like, come on, it's an honest mistake, or no, you know, loads of other people do it, this and the other. Like, why are you going, why are you going down it? Why are you attacking, like, you know, one of your own? They've been very quick to say, he's not one of our own. Because of him, so many of us have lost our livelihood. Like, our regular assured income has been massively affected because of this man and his previous actions. We've got no sympathy for this guy. And so even just from, like, outside of the racial controversy and everything, business people... Like, hate this motherfucker as well. Because of what he's doing to the industry as a whole. Yeah. YouTube, about five or six years ago, was in a really good place. And it looked like it was about to start being taken more seriously by film networks and television networks as a serious 
competitor and also companion. Like, it's another form of entertainment. Yeah. This website has become the dominant version of online film and television. And this is, you know, let's work together. Let's work alongside. Let's be rivals when it comes to ratings and what people want. I think YouTube want to be that as well. Yeah. And it was in that direction about five years ago. It was the moves were beginning to be made that were were placing it Mm. in that category. And shit like this over the years is just making it worse. It's just, it looks like the thing that dorky teenagers and stoners and annoyed little kids watch now to the outside world. The biggest problem you've got with with YouTube is that they take no responsibility for anything. No, they'll create an algorithm and hope for the best. Yeah. They need, if they want to be taken seriously as like a broadcast network uh, delivery system, they need to have standards that they can enforce. And if that means that some of us need to change the way we do things, that means some of us need to change the way we do things. Hmm. Because you you can't get bring bring back parental guidance. Yeah. They got rid of, they got rid of the age restriction parental guidance option, which was there that was there in the early days. You could you can you age restrict select. videos now. Is it is but it there? age restricting them automatically removes all monetization. Now that's stupid. It should simply be a case of who are we advertising to. Yeah. Because for example, Mountain Dew aren't going to lose out being on age-restricted videos no. of their reputation and no. kids' videos. On kids' videos, great. Yeah, we're advertising pop. This is wonderful. Adult videos, hey, you lot shooting each other and swearing while you're playing Halo. We've got some Halo codes. Like, yeah, which is a lot of these brands all the fucking time. A lot of these brands don't care what they're being attached to as long as it's not like hate-filled, racist, or violent. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. And the thing is, YouTube's owned by Google. Google has... All of the money. All of it. Why don't they have, and I know they can't check every video. I know you can't check every video. Mm. But just a few offices around the world, maximum 100, 200 people employed to work, specifically within office hours, to check out the most flagged content. Yeah. Oh, the the stuff that is most flagged, just look into it, see what it is, get rid of it. Because the most flagged would indicate that it's already been out there and people have self-reported, which is not reliable. No, of course, what? but at the same time, like, they can't watch... Like, someone did the maths a while ago, and I, I can't... I, I'm not even going to try and say the exact number because I can't remember it, but, like, there are hundreds of thousands of videos, like, uploaded to YouTube every minute. Yeah. Got anything from, like, pirated copies of stuff to, like, actual decent content yeah. to three-second clips to re-uploads of the same shit and, like... But there's no way anyone, there's no way they'd have enough people to to monitor all of that. No. So the best you can do is just limit the amount of damage time, I think. So if something's being mass flagged within an hour, that's enough, I think, for someone to go, right, okay, we're in there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because YouTube isn't necessarily responsible for what gets uploaded, but it is responsible for what stays there. It's too hands off. Yeah. For what it is. So even, even if there's an hour, if there is an hour of damage, yeah. I think that is a small price to pay in the long term if they can then get rid of it at the end of that hour, like because of enough people have alerted them to its existence. Because the the, the problem that you've got, it's better than it sticking around longer. So, I mean, it's still it's still a bad thing. But and, it's, you know, and YouTube policing is difficult anyway because the problem you've got now is that some studios, most notably Campo Santo, who made Firewatch, hmm. have turned around and said, "Oh wait, we're going to put a DMCA takedown on any of his content." Mm. containing Firewatch or any of our other future games. Yeah. And I Because understand... in that case, they specifically don't want him to yeah. be associated with their brand in any way. And I understand why they would do that, 
but also I think it does set a dangerous precedent for mm. the use of DMCA, DMCA takedowns, which is already uh, a, a murky area. But at the same time, Campo Santo need to do something, but there isn't really anything in place, anything else in place for them to do. Yeah, so aside really from just issue a statement, basically, yeah. to say we don't endorse the but, views of PewDiePie. Campo well, that's Santo the, well, that's the thing. No, do not have as much reach as PewDiePie. That's, yeah. that's the thing. But the thing in that, I think, I think them trying to take down this video would would be a bad move over in in the long run. Well, they've done it already. Simply, oh, oh there you go. Right. But but like simply because he's commenting on their work in his content, so it's like they they hold no responsibility to that piece of content that he's made, as it were. Yeah. Um, like and and it would unfortunately and I guess it is it would unfortunately be the same as like the whole cool cat debacle digital yeah. homicide like all these things where people have gone like no I don't like you talking about my thing now in this instance it's because I don't like you talking about my thing because you're an offensive person who's upset a lot of people but again like offense is subjective and la 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 because there'll be but, people who watch this stuff who don't care what PewDiePie said and that's fine there is but, also but but. He shouldn't be saying it. Full stop. There is also now though. There legal... was confused free speech with. There is now legal like, precedent consequences of free speech for fair use on YouTube, mm. which if it goes to court, could be fought in PewDiePie's favour because Ethan Klein won his case. Yeah, Ethan and Hugh Klein on... and, and the case against Matt Hoss. Yeah, they they won their yeah. their fair use case, which now sets a legal precedent for fair use on YouTube against copyright strikes. So, yeah. It's quintessential. It's, a, it's a, <laughs> example a of fair video. use. Such quintessential. Video. <laughs> um, um, oh, yeah, I mean, if this goes to court, which yeah, it may well oh. do, you've already got lawyers coming out of the woodwork saying that there's, there's, mm. there could be a legal argument here. Then you risk. Of course you do. You risk setting. A... What's that? They gave you less fries than your friend, but you ordered the same. Oh There's a legal precedent. But yeah, like there is now a template because that's the thing with a lot of this. But isn't also, it? if this goes to court and goes a certain way, it could set another precedent. Or yeah, maybe it, we don't know. Um, so as long it's as it's a they, bad situation. As long as they can retroactively go back and and deal with the CS:GO Lotto twats. Uh, anyway, yeah. anyway, let's. That's enough Probably shouldn't boring. say that. Apparently, Pro Syndicate lives like down the road. Does it? Yeah, yeah, he's got like a house just outside of Manchester. Oh, does it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. What a treat in his letterbox. Yeah. Um, <laughs> open oh, yeah. that online. <laughs> Yeah. It's Put money on what's in that fucking box. It's amazing. I've, I've been in touch with this website and they've given me a free pot of shit. Anyway, <laughs> let's send him a pot of shit. Yeah, pot of um, shit. We're not going to send him a pot of shit. Disclaimer: We're not going to send him a pot of shit. And even if we do, he can't take it to court because there's no precedent for someone being sent a pot of shit. I'm sure there is. There, there probably is. is. There definitely um, is. Um, yeah. Speaking of a pot of shit, hey! oh, that segue was beautiful. I've seen. And then you ruined it by commenting on it. Well. You can't comment on a perfect segue. I'm commenting on it because it's fair use. I'm transformative. It's a transformative um, version of the thing you set up. You Damn set up the segue, <laughs> and I'm commenting on it. And transformative is the key word because Death Note has been adapted for Netflix. Death Note, the long-running manga series, and uh, accompanying anime and Japanese movies. In fact, the live-action Japanese movies just there on I that shelf. I can see it. Uh, it doesn't look great. The CGI's aged terribly, but it's it's a decent adaptation. Um, Death Note is... Uh, the, basic, the basic premise of the series is the Death God, the Shinigami Death God, Ryuk, sends his uh, Death Note to the mortal world, a notebook 
in which whatever name is written down and the face of that person pictured, they will soon die afterwards. Um, and it's obtained by schoolboy uh, called Light, who's got some screwed Sorry, called, up... Called what? Called Light, who's got some screwed up um, ideas about how justice should be dealt out in the world and who starts to go overboard. Um, it's the story, basically, of a kid with a sense of justice and, and trying to right wrongs going too far and essentially becoming, like, an incredible psychopath. Um, okay. All the while, all the while, the death god is watching over his shoulder and he can see him at all times. Uh, later on in the series, a friend of his, like, Misa, is, like, very much in love with him, like, starts to get involved with everything and it becomes horrible. And the best part is there is a, like, super investigator. Like, if there's, if there's such a thing as superheroes, this is a super detective called <laughs> L who's like a teen prodigy who works with the Japanese... I can't remember the initials now, but the Japanese version of the FBI and, and the G8 so Summit Japanese. to narrow down who the hell is killing all these criminals without even being at the scene. Because um, suddenly all these all these criminals within a week are all dying of heart attacks. Like, And, and the, the internet is... The internet's decided that, it, that this is one person and they're called Kira, which means death. Or, sure. or something like it's like it's death, sure. but like it, it's kid, and and they're worshiping him and saying, "Yeah, you're getting rid of the bad people," but of course he's still killing people. So the detective L is brought in basically to figure out what the fuck is going on, and he uses insanely well written deductive reasoning to figure it out. After watching this American movie on Netflix, I I've taken it upon myself because my partner Lucy she adored the manga and she read it all like she devoured it in the space of a few months back in 2011. Uh, so after watching the movie, I, I was like, I'm, I need to cleanse myself, and I, I, I've, I've been I've been reading Volume One, and I've been really enjoying it. I'm not I'm not huge on manga, but like, there's something about the pacing of this one is really enjoyable. Why don't you like manga, Chris? Um, I, mm, I don't I, know. I don't it's the, it's the tones either. more than anything for me. The tone of it all is just kind of odd. Um, but even the film version of Death Note and the anime sort of finds a way to settle on mm. on a tone. Like it's a very dark, uncomfortable story with you know with moments of twisted humor and but but you know it, it's it's an interesting story that can be told well and has been in and adapted well in, into anime and movies and even a musical in Japan at one point. True story. Everything's a musical in Japan. There's a Phoenix Wright musical in Japan. Of course there is. Um. So yeah, Cowboy Bebop the musical. Um. Uh, but where's Pokemon the musical? But anyway, um, that's probably been done. So Netflix were making Death Note and they announced that it was going to be set in Seattle. And everyone was like, oh, are they about to westernize Death Note? Now, here's the thing. Here is the thing. Here is the thing. Forget recent history. Forget Ghost in the Shell. Forget all that stuff, right? You can westernize stories and it not be offensive by simply changing how the story's told but using the basic premise. Look at The Magnificent Seven, the original movie. Yeah. It's a remake of Seven I mean, Samurai. You probably shouldn't westernize stories. Oh no, no, but like that's but... them going. Let's take the core concepts and the core like idea and the characters' motives and everything, and transplant it. It's like fairy yeah. tales. Whenever you adapt a fairy tale, you're telling it differently from the person before you. Do you have to look at it that way? But when they announced that the characters were going to be called Light and L and all this stuff, they were like, "Oh, so they're playing the characters? Cool. So why is it not just set in Japan?" Where the original stories are set. Because people don't understand Japan, Christopher. American audiences don't want to see movies about people that are different colours. Jesus! But... 
How can you be so insensitive but to American values? Oh God. But do you see what I mean? Like, there is a way to do it. Like, you could you could adapt it and it not be completely surface level offensive simply by changing everyone's freaking names. The only thing you'd have to keep the same name wise would be like Ryuk and like Shinigami Death God, and you tap into that side of the culture. But that's it. Do you know what I mean? You could have done it that way, and everyone would have gone okay. But of course, no, they chose to like. No, mean, it's it's the story, but we've moved it here, and everyone's still got the same names, apart from one character who's like a butchered version of Misa. Um, like we're gonna move it here, and we'll do this, and la 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 la, and then we're gonna shit all over it. We're gonna shit I mean, all over it. If you it. really want to do it in America, <laughs> and you want to keep the Japanese folklore angle, angle of it, then mm. just have it be a Japanese immigrant. Oh, I'll, I'll do you one better. Sequelize it. It's a sequel to the uh, story. Because all you need for the basic uh, premise of Death Note is the Death Note. Uh, you set it after... I can't. Someone suggested this online, but you set it after the manga. Yeah. And the Death Note has fallen into someone else's hands and has eventually ended up in the United States. So the only thing you're carrying over is Ryuk and the Death Note. Because then you have to reintroduce the premise. You can tell a different story with it. Imagine that. Yeah. And then that way, you could still call it Death Note, because technically it's the first Death Note happening in America. Like, you, do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, this Death Note is like the start of the story over here, after this one. Death Note USA! Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, like there's a way to do it. And, and there you go. That way you're not offending the original source material or fans of the original source uh, material because it's a separate entity which you can take or leave. As opposed to a remake where fans of the original are obviously going to be like, okay, let, let's give it a watch. Let's see. Guys, this is a terrible movie. Yeah, okay, tell it me all about... Tell me movie. why Death Note sucks. Death Note sucks because... Should it, we spoil it? Yeah, uh, yeah. There's, there's going to be spoilers in here, probably. Um, Spoiler warning for Death Note on Netflix, although apparently it's terrible. So don't yeah, I'll, it spoils itself by existing. Um, hey, yeah, gang, 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 gang. So I haven't seen it, by the way. That's so. right. Hey, I'm saving you. Oh, that, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm in no rush to see it. I feel so. like someone's got the shitty movie note and they wrote my name in it. <laughs> um, so. Every Light. egg a bird today. Light is an American school kid who's still called Light for some reason. Um, who fancies the cheerleader Mia. Who is a chain-smoking psychopath, apparently. Cool. Um, cool. The Death Note, like in the original manga, just lands in front of him one day. And he takes it home. Uh, and he begins to see Ryuk. Ryuk in the books is an observer. He's just this creepy looking thing that's always in the corner of frame, always in the corner of the room, always like sat on a chair, always perched on the bed, mm. always hovering above with his big freaking feathery wings. Like Ryuk is this is the death god that comes with it. Whoever owns the death note can see him and hear him. Whoever it belongs to in that moment can see him and hear him. He's an observer. Mm. In this, he's an active participant. He eggs Ryuk, uh, eggs light to try the death note. To give it a go. To kill the school bully outside. So, he writes his name, and then the means of his death, which is something in the books, but not this elaborate. A decapitation. Then a final destination-style level of things happen that leads to the bully being decapitated by a ladder on the back of a van. Fantastic. And suddenly you realise, oh, 
That's why they made this. Because they wanted to do Final Destination again. Okay. Um, it's just, it's tone deaf. It's hilarious one minute. It's twisted the next. It's bloody and violent for a second. And then it's a teen romance, young adult story. It doesn't know what it wants to be. It sounds it sounds great. It's it the oh god. So in the in in the books again, this is my understanding based on what Lucy told me. But Misa, that character in the books, is in love with Light, but he doesn't really reciprocate it. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, yeah. She becomes a complicated element in the story because of that. Because it's this idea of an innocent who's aware of what's going on mm-hmm. is a part of it. Yeah. In this, Mia, uh, he. Is explained that like, it's explained to her very briefly, very quickly by Light early in the story what the Death Note is, and she's not only totally cool with it, she's actively helping. And they go okay. from taking down criminals to murdering the FBI agents that are on their tail, like almost immediately. Um, and it just becomes like huh. it becomes they're trying they've attempted Bonnie and Clyde in Twilight basically. With Ooh. Final Destination sprinkled in. That, that doesn't that doesn't sound like the the, the final stakes of, of of Act Three are that she's been using pages of the Death Note without Light knowing and causing deaths because she wants to kill people. And Ryuk is like very actively saying, "If you're not gonna use it, you should pass it on to somebody else." And like he wants death and carnage and chaos to ensue. Yeah. Um, and uh, just, uh, and then add to this, L is in the story. L is played very well. I'm trying to remember the actor's name. It's the, it's the guy who plays the, the bloke from the opening scenes of Get Out, who's then at the party oh, later yes. on. Yes. I'm trying to remember the actor's I'm name. Look him up for you. But he's, he's really good. He plays L. And a big thing about L is L deduces very early on in, in both the manga and, and this film that whoever Kira is, he needs to be able to see the uh, person he wants to kill. Lake it, Lee Stanfield. Oh, no, no. Um, no, not that guy. It's someone else. Um, That's L in Death Note. In the new, in the live action one? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Why have I got a different name in my head? It's this dude. I've got a different name in my head for some reason. Oh my god, you're right. Is he, does he go under another name? Lake uh... in Stanfield. I'm sure I've seen him with a different name. I don't. I don't know. Maybe I'm having a moment. No, no, I'm not quite. It's a different name. Maybe I'm having a moment. You are having a moment. Yeah. Um. Stop having a moment, Christopher. But anyway, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, freaking great. Um, because he takes a character. L is very um exaggerated and stuff in the books. Like he's always perched over things. He's always eating candy. He's usually like barefoot. And always like whenever it comes to like everyone sitting together, he'll perch on something like on all fours. Yeah. Like you know, he's he's an eccentric. He's he's Sherlock Holmes um, as a child, basically. Do you know what I mean? It's that kind of angle. Yeah. Um, they don't go that far with it in this, but you can see he's trying to embody it as best as he can. Mm-hmm. So like little things about the way he carries himself. But L figures out in the story early on that Kira, this this killer, needs to be able to see the person they're killing. Yes. Like so, or at least you know, like it, we know it's picture them, but he thinks it's see them, and he needs to know their real name. Like, the identity is important. In the book, he deduces it in an amazing way. Um, a guy goes on TV claiming that he is L, like the detective L, and his name is spelled out on the screen, his full name, at the press conference, saying he's coming for Kira, he knows where he is, and la la la. 
and then like light panics and writes this guy's name and looking at his face on the TV like so we can see it writes this guy's name in the book he's like oh my god he's gonna write it down he's gonna find and this guy dies on TV and then the voice of L comes out of the speakers and says thank you like that was a, that was a guy who was like no it was it was basically in jail for like eighty five deaths like a mass murder yeah uh, he was going to the chair we promised him a um a prolonged execution with some final requests if he took part in this experiment. Unfortunately, you've denied him that, but you've done the job that we you know, we were going to do anyway. Um, that's not me, but you've just helped me narrow down that you need to not only see the person, but know their full name. Because obviously people are thinking it's like a psychic murderer. Yeah, yeah. Like, you've done that. Not only that, and that he says, like, thank you very much, and the broadcast shuts down, and Light starts shitting himself, because he's like, oh my god, like, someone's figuring it out. And then it cuts to the G8 summit, and they're like, this meeting, and they're like, what the hell have we learned from that? You've learned that, but that doesn't narrow it down. He says, yeah, it does. He's in uh, the Kanto region, Japan. Like, what do you mean? Uh-huh. He's like, well, the first death of this nature that occurred wasn't um, a killer in jail, because he's been using police records to kill murderers. Yeah. So it wasn't a killer in jail. It was that man on the news in the Kanto region of Japan three months ago who kidnapped a bunch of people. That was the first version. That was the first example I have found of this of someone dying of a heart attack, in the same way everyone else has. Mm. It happened in that region, uh, just before the, the string happened. So just to make sure that broadcast only went out in that region, we were going to broadcast to every suspected region I had. But I thought I'd start there just to narrow it down, and he's proved that he's there because he could only see that broadcast if he was living in the area. Fair enough. It's like. There's some really cool writing and character work going on in this book. That is quite cool. And the deductive reasoning's pretty like, oh, okay. okay. And Lou's described to me like the, 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 the draw of that series as it goes on is the cat and mouse game between these two people. Yeah. Um, in this film, that cat and mouse game lasts for one conversation in a diner. And then oh, in the third okay. act, Elle becomes an emotional wreck chasing Afterlight with a gun. Cool. It's terrible. The only good things I can point out are probably Elle's, Elle's performance is alright. Yeah. Um, the Final Destination, if you like Final Destination-esque, over-the-top, weird, wacky cartoon gore death scenarios, the couple of deaths that are in it are at least entertaining, but maybe not for the right reasons. Now, this is called Death Note, but there's only a couple of deaths in it? Oh, no, there's a lot of deaths, but there's only a few, a couple of really wacky, oh, elaborate okay, ones. Okay, okay. And they are really entertaining because of how fucking stupid they are. <laughs> like, not Final Destination stupid, where you're like, you know this is stupid. Yeah. Here they think it's clever. Oh, cool, cool. It's one of those. And one of those. Ryuk looks pretty good. Ryuk is a, is a physical performance uh, of an actor with um, highlighted performance capture for the face which was also done by his voice actor, Willem Dafoe, mm-hmm. in the recording booth. So, like, I've seen this footage of, of the actor on set in costume, and he's always li- he's always not lit properly. He's always in shadow, which yeah. is a nice touch, because it obviously hides any creases. Because this is, it may be Netflix, they may be rolling in the bank, but this is still a Netflix. They're it's not a, it's rolling a t- in the bank. They're like $5 billion in debt. <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, but they they spending like they ain't. Oh yeah, <laughs> they yeah. spending like they ain't. Son. Spending like the world's ending. Netflix is gonna be one of those where, like, in twenty years, like when it becomes something else or, or or like merges with something else or whatever, the person in charge of it at that moment is gonna have to clean up a very big mess. Yes, uh, unless they hurry up and and save and plan properly. No, nope. um, which they won't. No, nope. but. Like uh, they, they've shot him well, and 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 Willem Dafoe voices him 
very well. It's that weird, eerie, creepy tone that he, Willem Dafoe can do so yeah, well. But also that Dafoe, that yeah. almost like mischievous tone that Ryuk has in the material. He's got that down, and then all of a sudden Ryuk starts acting out of character and being very threatening. And you're like, this makes no sense. <laughs> but he but he looks pretty decent and he sounds great. And but that's about it, guys. It's just if you've ever wanted to explore this property, this story. My recommendation simply is read the first volume of the manga if you're curious. That's the purest version of it. Um, can't believe this is me saying that. Like, read the manga, guys. Read the manga or watch, like, the first ten episode arc of the anime. There's Death Note. That's what it is. That's what it... That's where it that is it where it works. Where the characters do what they're meant to do and the story that has appealed to so many people over the last, like, 13 years yeah. is told. That's where it is. Um... Because in Japan, for example, there's like eight movies of different styles and directions. We've got two of them. Mm. We've got the live action movie and we've got an animated movie, which is the story of the entire like 10 season anime, which is like 40 episodes, but it's told in chunks. Yeah. Um, it's the entirety of the anime told from Ryuk's perspective. So it's an animated movie that's like an alternate version of the events. Um. So, like, there's so many different adaptations in Japan. If you're just going to pick one to test it, read the first volume of the book or watch the first story arc Fair of the anime. Don't waste your time with this piece of shit. <laughs> if you're going to watch a movie this weekend, there are much better choices out there in the world. Shall we tuck in? Um, <laughs> we shall take a big, big old teeth-mouth bite of... The new adaptation mm. of Stephen King's It. You're lucky I have a lot of friends. Um, it's it's bloody great. Beat beat Richie. It's, it's bloody yeah, great. It's it's, it's um it's a really smart, <laughs> really well, really well structured adaptation. It's it's of it, a very of a very clusterfucky book. Yeah, to adapt and to adapt every, adapt 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 every god. <laughs> Everything we were saying about the Dark Tower a couple of weeks back, yeah. about how it was, it completely failed on every level as a as an adaptation, it did everything right. Yes, like it changes quite a bit from the book and streamlines a lot of it and cuts a lot out. I mean, it removes it, it removes half of the story yeah. specifically to streamline it and tell an entertaining tale of its own. Yeah. So if you don't know the story of it, basically it's. Um, which we talked about about a year ago as well. So, yeah. like, this is to consider this an anniversary. <laughs> it's 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 seven seven children in uh, the town of Derry, Maine, uh, in the nineteen fifties. Uh, investigate, uh, find out that a lot of, of kids in their town are going missing, and they stumble upon that this is an, uh, an evil force that mm. uh, also that takes many forms. More primarily, that of Pennywise, the dancing clown, who is uh, murdering children. Um, they defeat it as children. But then 27 years later, it re-emerges and they have to go back as adults to face it once again. Yeah. Um, It's about facing your fears as a child. Yeah. And then, like, having to revisit childhood as an adult. Now, everyone knows... To put away childish things. Everyone knows the 1990 uh, TV movie adaptation with Tim Curry. Come back anytime. It's like bring your friends. It's two like it's two TV movies basically. Yeah, it was, people um, always refer to it as the movie. And it's like it's, no, it's, it was it was an event. It was yeah. Sunday night, and then the following Sunday night. It was two part because it's fucking long. Yeah, um, and it's not aged and it's brilliantly. It's, it's, it's 
it's it's digested better as a two sit two sitting yes. experience. Um, I, I I've watched that maybe four times over like the last ten years, mm-hmm. and the best way to watch it is to watch part one, and then a few days later watch part two. Yeah, in one yeah, go, definitely. it is a drag. It's it's it's, it's a, but it's, it's very it's fondly remembered. It's a lot. It's very fondly yeah. remembered because Tim Curry's great in it. Yeah, that is um, that is undebatable. Like Curry's um, performance as Pennywise the Dancing Clown is. It's a it's an overused word, but not here. It's iconic. It is iconic. It's great. He he took the material and went, all right, I'm gonna go for it, and he does. Yeah, and it pays off. It it he makes some wonderful decisions, and, and visually he looks great as well. Like the big bulbous head and like the pe- completely pale white face, yeah. and those obvious shots with the teeth and everything. Where he sort of roars backwards. <sighs> a clown with giant spiked teeth looks terrifying, and it's um. <laughs> As an adaptation, it's quite it's quite crowded because it mm. ad- it adapts a over a thousand page novel into what three and a half hours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what this new adaptation quite smartly does, it just focuses on the parts of the story with the kids yeah. as kids, yeah. the Losers Club, <clears throat> but they move the action forward from nineteen eight from nineteen fifty. To nineteen, well, the nineteen fifties to the nineteen eighties, specifically eighty eight and eighty nine, which makes sense considering the time difference in the original book. Like the 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 present day sequence was set in the then present day, yeah, eighty five or eighty six, yeah. So, like, if you want people to feel nostalgic for childhood through your child characters, you're going to aim for the audience who are in their thirties, forties now. Yeah. So, you're going to make childhood the eighties. For them, because it plus it, Stranger Things, yes, also Stranger Things. Now, to be fair, I think Stranger Things and this this film was in production before Stranger Things this, was in production, but it was a previous version of this movie. This was in production, particular so de- that might have been set in the particular 50s. version of this movie has been in development since two thousand nine. Yeah, um, it was going to go into production in twenty fifteen. Yeah, with uh, Kerry Fukunaga, who yeah. directed the first season of. True Detective. Um, True Detective. Um, he dropped out due to creative differences. Um, there were some cast changes. Prior to him, actually, do you know who was attached to it in terms of they pitched a version? Uh, the Duffer Brothers. Duffer Brothers. Yeah, who did Stranger Things. And when it didn't happen, they pitched Stranger Things to Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> so Which it all worked out. And it's interesting that Stranger <laughs> Things is so influenced by It, and this new version of It is clearly... Um, I don't know if it's influenced necessarily, but it's certainly confluent in terms of its themes. And, yeah, it, it, and it's that beautiful home. thing of like it influenced Stranger Things, and now Stranger Things has obviously played a part in how it yeah. has approached its. Well, he shares version. a cast member as well. Yes, um, um, Finn, uh, Wolfhard, Finn Wolfhard, who plays Richie in this, and he plays Mike in Stranger Things. No, yeah. not Mike. Oh, um, it's Mike, isn't it? I'm sure, it's Mike. Is it Mike? Yeah, positive. It's Mike. I'm getting I don't remember. I, I'm a... very bad. I'm bad with names. I'm getting confused. Is there's a Mike in it? <laughs> so um, let, oh. me, let me check that um, but yes yeah, so, so the, that tonally is there um, I've seen a lot of people compare this, no, it is Mike, yeah. I've seen a lot of people compare this new movie like they use this same example all of them and I completely agree they've described it as a mix between <laughs> the, the, the 2017 version as a mix between Stand By Me another King story yeah. and Nightmare on Elm Street yeah I think that's a great description. Perfectly sums it up. And it's about imaginative horror sequences. And I've seen a lot of complaints this past week as well. I think this movie's the cold play of 2017's box office. How so? It's cool to not like it. Yeah. Like, there are reasons to not like it if you want them. They are there. But it's cool to not like it. 
And that's why people are suddenly harping on it after it's made Banks' son. I'm getting a lot After of... it's made all the money. I'm hearing a lot of, oh, it's not very scary. It's like, well... Maybe you're not frightened of the things the kids are frightened of. There yeah. you go. I mean, it's not. It's like... a story about personal fear. If your personal fears aren't covered, don't worry. It's, it's an, a fantasy adventure story. It's not nerve shredding. No, but it's like there's some there's some decent scares in it's there. It's skin crawly scares. Yeah, there's some me. creepy stuff in there, hmm. particularly courtesy of Bill, Bill Skarsgård, who kills it as Pennywise. Yeah. Completely different performance from Tim Curry. He's not trying to do anything that Tim Curry did. We'll probably it's very nuanced and very creepy. We'll probably find out when the Blu-ray comes out as well, I imagine. But um, I think he's also in the movie somewhere else. The uh, 4th of July um, like celebrations that are going on where they're all talking, they're sharing yeah. their stories and they ask Richie, what are you frightened of? Which in the books is uh, is a movie buff, so it's just a horror film. Yeah, stuff, isn't it? movie monsters. But in like... this, they narrow it down to clowns, which yeah. is fair enough. But when he turns around and says clowns as a clown on the stage... It's not Bill Skarsgård. Is it not Bill Skarsgård? He's in the credits. Because he freaking looks like Bill Skarsgård. There's a different guy in the credits. He looks like Bill Skarsgård. That's really Um, cool. Because I was going to say, that would be a nice touch. I mean, it's probably intentional, but um, I believe he was credited as someone else in the credits. But yes. (laughs) Um, Uh, I also know another video I watched. Someone started spotting in the background of certain scenes, just before the, the weird fucked up shit's about to happen, there's a character either looking down the camera or looking at the kid. Oh, yeah. Which we'll get. We'll get. We'll talk about in spoilers. But um, okay. We, yeah, we, we won't stay spoiler free for too much longer, guys. Because like based yeah. on the box office numbers, you've seen this film. Um, but it's. I think it's a very. I think it's an example of a good adaptation. Yeah. They take out stuff they realize isn't necessary. They change stuff they realize might have dated, in a way. Mm-hmm. And they streamline it for the medium. Because that's the thing about adaptation. Adaptation, a good adaptation isn't necessarily something that translates exactly what's on the page to screen or to stage. It's about something that takes the spirit of it and clearly respects the source material it's working with. Things like the woman in black on stage, for example. Like, that is nothing like the book. Like, because it's completely different structure and style. But it's very much the spirit of the story and all the key events you want to see from that book mm-hmm. are in the stage version. Same with this. A lot of yeah. the big moments you really want to see are there. Not all. Not all. Um, but again, they're streamlining it to a two-hour movie. What they've done quite neatly is changed some of the set pieces so that it still follows the same general structure. Yeah. And... Things get tweaked. Like, thematically... There, it, there it ain't a blowjob offering hobo, but there is a leper. Like, um, a full-blown leper. Or, yeah. And But it, it makes it... It feels like the same thing. Yes. It isn't the same thing, but it feels like the same thing. And that's what good adaptations do. They don't... It's not faithful in terms of, like, it's a beat for beat. It's faithful in terms of it feels right. It feels like the same thing. It feels so... How does and... it feel, Harry Osborne eating a pie? Oh, so good. <laughs> um, that's my review of it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so let's let's dig into spoilers so we can let's really, really, really talk about it. Let's really well do it. Spoiler um, warning, spoiler warning. Ra ra ra. The kids in this movie are fucking awesome. They are amazing. Like, performances, particularly, uh, I need to look up the names. Partic- particularly. Particularly Finn Wolfhard as Richie. Yeah. Um, Sophia Lillis as Beverly. And yeah. what's his name? Where is he? Where is it? Jack Dylan Grazer as Eddie. Yeah. Uh, uh, Eddie and uh, Richie are a great double act. Mm, yes. Um, yeah. That isn't to say the other kids aren't great. I think they're all phenomenal. Oh, they're all fantastic. They're all brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like Mike is sort of downplayed a little. He gets the but least in his moments. Kids, you're yeah. like, God, you're good. Like yeah. uh, to the point where I look forward to seeing that character's arc 
when the story continues because obviously yeah. Mike is the one who who well, brings everything back together. Andrew and Machete's been talking about what he wants to do um, in the in the next one, and he's talking about making Mike a bit of a junkie. Because like he he's got I like having some PTSD oh. issues and being the person who stays behind. Well, of course, he stays. But he started down, yeah. exploring with different substances to sort of find a way to find out Gans. more about. Oh my it. god! So that'll be their way of getting way, around, their way of getting around the, the hot scene, box. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, that makes sense. And also, I wonder if he's gonna uh, take up Ben's research. Ben's yeah, research because he's, he's gonna get it, hold of it in, in in the in the book. It's Mike who does that stuff all along. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 you get it. They make Ben the new kid in town in this version. Yeah. Um, Which is uh, fine. Like, it's sort of... It, it's, it works. It yeah. works well. Um, um, but, the, you know... The, the way they bring um, Beverly and Ben and Mike into the Losers Club as the story goes on is very organic. It doesn't feel yeah. like they've gone, we've got to get them together because they're all mates in the book. Like, you go, okay, yeah, these kids are all... They've found, they've found their um, common ground with everybody. They've found their, they've found their soulmates. They're yeah. all very much part of the same pack. Yeah, yeah. Um, I liked, I, I, I liked Mike's sort of tweak thing, the whole stuff with the farm and the, well, in, like, in, cause in, it's, it's there, isn't it? In, in the book, he is, he is, he does live on a farm, but yeah. he's with his parents. But, but they make him, he's after, after the credit, after the opening credits, he's like the first character we meet, yeah, isn't he? Yeah. And it, it, it was sort of this whole, oh, okay. Like they set a tone. They established yeah. that the adult, from the off, they established that the adults are kind of one dimensional. Yeah, to to the kids. In, like in from the kids' perspective, the adults are sort of they are either like simplistic and not really paying attention, overbearing yeah. and needy, um, nasty pieces of work, or utter fucking monsters. Whereas in, in the book, um, you get Mike has quite a, has quite a nice relationship with his parents. Yeah, who um, are killed off before in this in this, this version they died in a fire with the fire started by local the races book, isn't it there is a fire no, there's the, the fire at the black spot which is mentioned in this That's which it, is yeah. a, a fire uh, that burns down a, a um a well-known black nightclub and it's also one of pennywise's appearances in the past yeah and also um is a guest appearance by um the chef from the shining is in that sequence in the book is he yeah what the fuck? Because yeah, it's it's, it's Stephen King's works are mostly interconnected. They mostly take place in the same universe, um, and of course they're all connected by the Dark Tower in a, in a wider multiverse, in parallel Earth. But yeah, there's a lot of books of Stephen King's that take place in different places around Maine, mm-hmm. fictional towns like Derry um, and Castle Rock, and also real places like Bangor. Um, are you looking forward to the Castle Rock TV show? By the way, I'm interested to see where they go with it. Because um, all I know about it is basically it's an anthology using Stephen King's works as kind of a basis. Yeah, for it. and they've, yeah. they're using actors from different adaptations to play characters. Yeah, so like Bill Skarsgård is in it, but he's not Pennywise. No, 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 no. But, he, but it's like okay, that's it could interesting. Be interesting. Like, could be interesting. yeah. But anyway. Um... <laughs> I'm saying, you've completely fucking sad. That's right. We were talking about the dairy um, and the, the, the fictional inter- interconnectivity of, of these yeah. stories. Oh, but yeah. Oh, no. Parents. So yeah. <laughs> Mike has a good relationship with his parents in, in, in the book. Um, whereas Eddie's relationship with his mum is pretty much as is it in the movie as it is in the book. They sort of remove the <clears throat> the Oedipal thing, though. Like, I don't know if he's going to be living with a... Uh, well, the TV series messed with that, didn't it? Because, like, in the TV series, he's still living with his mum in the future. In the but in the book, book, he's living with it. He's got a wife he's, who's very similar to his, his mum. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I don't know if they're going to go with that because they have a very clear like "fuck you" mom at the end of this. Yeah. So they turn yeah. they turn up the incestuous thing with Beverly and her dad in this. Yeah, it's in the book. It, it, but yeah, they make it more explicit here. 
Yeah, um, well, yeah, but, but I think they did that to make sure she had a, she had a boogeyman. Yeah. To, to kick it. Cause like that, that's the, the beauty of, of Beverly's story in the movie is that, you know, when Pennywise is like, right, you're leverage and the very typical sort of, you're the girl, I'm going to take yeah. you. She's like, yeah, I'm completely useless to you yeah. because I have killed, well, yeah. presumably killed the thing. Like I've killed my fear. Like I've, Tackled it head on and got rid of it. You are you're a fucking clown. Yeah, you're nothing. Like what? And you dance funny. You dance funny. You dance funny in a way that will be a gif in no it's time. Already a thing on YouTube. Is it? Like Excellent. someone's taken it and dubbed different songs over it. Good, good, um, good, good. That makes me happy. Um, um, so then he's like, "All right, I'll put you in the larder for later while I figure something out." Bye bye. Built there. Built. Go and sleep up there for a bit. We don't see Ben or Richie's parents in this. No, we um, don't. Know. We see Stan's briefly in there, quite. Dad's quite hard on him because he's preparing for his bar mitzvah, but he, mm-hmm. his dad wants him to be better. Um, so what was Stan's fear in the book? What was the things that Stan saw? Um, Stan goes to the standpipe, which is the thing that Ben's got a model of, and it's on the postcard. Yeah, yeah. it's like the like water plant. Yeah, thing that's in the middle of one of the parks, and um, like a bunch of dead kids who apparently drowned in there start crawling out of it and, and trying to. That's and he, but he has his bird book because he's he's a bird spotter in the book. Oh, oh that's it, kind of that's kind faith. of harkened to when the bully gets attacked yeah. by the zombie drowned children. It's, it's sort just, of like his faith yeah. in that is what keeps them back. Right. Okay. And it's, it's like because that's another that's another thing. That and it fights against. I've seen people slagging off like, "Well, their love saves the day," and it's like, "Have you have you read this yeah, book? Yeah, apparently very, it's like very, it's about yeah. emotion. It's about love and support and and being together yeah. and belief in each other. Like it is literally useless as a creature." If you don't fear it, yeah, the whole it the... can try and make you scared again. But if you're determined enough to be like, yeah, you don't scare me, it has no power yeah. over you. Its power, yeah, is all based on belief. Yeah. So it, it... if it can make you fear, it will feed. Mm-hmm. If you if you if it can make you believe like the, the things that are the life threatening stuff that's going to take you, then it will become life threatening and suck the freaking life out of you. I think that's why Stan's fear was changed and simplified a bit to the uh, scary woman in the painting in yeah. his, his dad's office, uh, the synagogue, because, um, fast forward to part two, spoiler alert for the book, if people really don't want any notes about part two, yep. when they've all sort of forgotten what happens. Yeah. Like, Which it, it implies it's... at the end of this that they're starting. To yeah. Forget. Did you notice they all, I think they left in the order that they then leave the story, unquote, as it goes on. I'm sure that um, Stan left first. Yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, and th- and then um, be left next. Is it Mike? Mike dies, doesn't he? Mike doesn't die in the doesn't, book. No. Does he die in the film, the TV movie? No, he gets he gets stabbed, so he can't That's go. It, down. Yeah, he, he can't go down to the final yeah, battle with him. Um, um, but like everyone sort of like drifted away. Yeah. But yeah, they, they they forget. Like part of the whole thing of this creature is people just forget. Like like they move they move away, and suddenly the strange inst- instances like aren't something that they ever remember because. Again, it's all about like it's belief, and it's all based on feeling and memory and fear and and regression and stuff. So Mike stays in Derry, and he's the one who alerts them to kids going missing again. And they all suddenly realise, like, oh my god, yeah, we made we made a freaking pack that we'd go back and, yeah. and sort this out. Um, except for Stan, Stan realises what the hell's going on and takes his own life because he doesn't want to go back there. Um, so I think that's why Stan's thing was simplified yeah. so that we got that moment toward the end where it basically got him like it was, it was chewing on his, his face, face yeah. and was sucking his fear out or whatever like it got him he's going to be the most traumatized of the yeah, group yeah yeah he's not going to go back yeah 
So that, I think that's why they condensed his thing to be more like just, you're scared, you're scared, you're scared, you're scared. Oh my god, it nearly killed you! Yeah. Whereas the rest of them kind of had moments where they confronted it or got away. Because with Stan, when he has his first moment with it, which is the painting, yeah. he just hides in the closet. And that's all we see of the end of that scene. Implying that maybe he might have been there for hours yeah. while this thing's just scratching at the door. So they, they, they made a very clear thing of his just being primal, like, he's shit scared. Yeah. He's the one who's reluctant as well, like, when they all go back and stuff. He's the one who always holds out just that bit longer than the rest of them before taking part. Yeah. So I think that was conscious, like, his his stuff was made that... I would think so, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Um, the stuff with Georgie and and um, Billy. I, I think it's really smart that they've... That they have Bill be in denial the whole film. Yes. So everyone knows George is dead. And so I've seen people criticise that, like, oh, is it supposed to be a twist when you find out George is dead the whole time? It's like, no. No. Everyone George knows is George definitely is dead. dead. It's been like six not, months. Like, Georgie is dead. The audience is not supposed to think that George is, Georgie isn't dead. No. Bill is in denial that Georgie is dead. And that's part of his character arc. Yeah. Because that's what that's, that's when he takes the final step at the yeah. end. Is he accepts his brother is gone. And all that's left for him to do, if he really, fe- if he really he feels like he needs to do something, what he needs to do mm. is make sure this thing is dead so it can't do it to anyone else. Also, we get that beautiful moment. I say beautiful, that's the wrong word. But um, when in this, in Bill's basement, mm. where Georgie appears, yeah, oh. and then Pennywise in the water, just just find it when he's puppeteering him. Yeah. The way, the way he moves his body at the end implies that he's using yeah. like a ventriloquist doll. You don't see that in the trailer, because that scene's in the second yeah. trailer, and I hadn't noticed that until we watched it in the yeah, cinema. Like, it's really oh, neat. Oh, that's um, creepy. Because, of course, he starts to just decay while he's talking, like maggots yeah. start coming out of his face, and his eyes sink in, and it's like... Uh, implying this is what he looks like now yeah. yay dead six year old um, yay because this film in, in the opening scene that the, the most iconic I think scene related to it any version any adaptation even just the freaking most consistent book cover yeah. whenever it's republished is the drain like it's the, Hi, the yeah, eyes Georgie. the eyes looking out the drain that's the bit that everyone people who hadn't seen the TV movie will know that scene yeah. because they you know they'll They'll have seen that bit. They'll have dipped in and gone, no, no, no watching this. No. Tim Curry in a grid. Um, so as an opening, like they kind of had to nail that to get everyone on board in the cinema. Yeah. They did it. It's freaking awesome. And I think part of the reason they did it is because they took advantage of that R rating. And they yeah. just went, hey, uh, you know how in the TV miniseries adaptation where it's on TV, so even though it was after like the watershed, we still have to be careful because we've got people advertising and the ad breaks and everything and la la la. Uh, you know how... Georgie just like Pennywise grabs his arm and then you see a close-up of his scary teeth and then we cut to the title and then everything's like six months later or whatever. Like there's a few weeks later because it's the funeral. Yeah, we're doing the book. We're uh, biting Georgie's freaking arm off. We're going to leave the child screaming at his bloodied stump as he tries to crawl away and then a creepy long extended arm mm. is going to pull him into the sewers. Welcome to it, motherfuckers. <laughs> I mean, in, in the book, in the book, his body's left. Yeah, he, like, he bites the arm yeah. off and Georgie's found dead by the drain, isn't he? Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, he, he takes Georgie. Because I saw the I saw the miniseries before I read the book. Yeah, and I remember reading that first time, going, "Oh God, yeah, oh no, it's uh, <laughs> it's rough." Yeah, um, and <laughs> yeah, it, there's some genuinely creepy imagery in this. Mm. The um, the sink scene with Beverly in the blood also has yeah. her hair, which she's cut off has, previously to avoid yeah. her father's sort of 
advances. Yeah, because um, Kitty kept like caressing yeah. her hair, so she cuts it off. She's like, "Fuck you, fuck she you, fuck you." Crawls out of the drain and starts throttling her, and then yeah, and like, and like, and, like but specifically pulls her to yeah. face the drain, so the blood just hits her square in the face, like for the entire time. Like, I was like, "Oh my god, she's gonna drown!" Yeah. She's gonna drown in blood. But even spookier than that was just moments before the voices in the yep. train. And he's using the voices of the missing kids because he knows that they're aware that yep. the kids are missing. Because that's the thing as well. Like Pennywise the Anting Clown is his fav- is its favourite form. Most in, in the book, if I remember rightly, it's implying because of like all the events in the past and everything. Yeah. It's because that's the thing that lures kids in. Yeah. Or at least, you know, more so in the olden days when clowns were sort of less seen as, oh, that's a bit creepy isn't it like you know, oh god have you seen all the stuff going on with real life clown leagues and everything yeah. saying, this movie's this movie's going to destroy our business no, guys guys your business is going to be fine people who want clowns are going to hire clowns your business is fine but maybe think about changing clowning yeah because clowns <laughs> clowns aren't meant to be creepy but they can be very creepy i've seen a lot of the defense for this movie has been yeah but pennywise isn't a clown that's just a form it takes. He isn't an evil clown. So stop saying, stop protesting the killer clown. It isn't a killer clown. Mm. And the clowns are like, bitch, please. <laughs> it looks like a clown. But um, like he took the form of the clown because it's to lure kids in. Um, although in this movie, like he's definitely a scary looking clown. And the kids are acknowledging him as a creepy clown. And Richie's scared of clowns. So it seems the thing he lures them in with more than anything that I noticed yeah. was... The, the promise of finding the missing children. Yeah. So there was the whispers in the sink when uh, the bully was in the going into the sewers walking through the grey water like he could hear the kids yeah. calling out to him. So basically it was almost like Pennywise's main weapon of, of luring people in this was going, oh my god it's those missing children! I'll go find them! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, our Bill Skarsgård just... Mm. He's, he's, he's looking in different directions. Which he did himself! Which he did himself. His weird sort of <laughs> shaky not physicality, which sort of reinforces the idea that this is not human. Yeah. This is a thing in a skin. Yeah. Or in a form. Because um, this film... I don't think this film touched on it, but it is in the book. and It, like, the pen, it implies that Pennywise was a clown that has visited Derry at some point as part of a um, circus or a travelling thing. I don't, I don't think it's implied so much as that's the thing that people have come up with after the fact. Oh, uh, okay. I don't, I don't recall that from my last reading of the book. Because Dark, the Dark Tower movie certainly bought, bit, yeah, bought into that theory, yeah. didn't it? Um, but, um, I mean, I kind of like that idea. I kind of like the idea, because that, that's sort of the first recorded images of the clown are from that period. The founding, of, the founding of Derry, yeah. Yeah, so with, with, you know, Carnival and all this yeah. stuff. So and they all went missing. Like, mm-hmm. he's got that picture of everyone signing, like, the, the charter of the original Derry Township and they all go missing. Yeah. Um, and that's the well that's in the house at the bottom of, of Nebol Street. Oh, um, God. I love that idea. And I love the fact that people would be like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Like, they've all disappeared. And then, of course, they just don't really remember it after a while. Yeah. Because that's part of the the sort of the spell that it casts is that everyone's kind of ignorant to it. And there's also, it looks like this, all the adults in this movie are just mm. unpleasant. Yeah. Or, 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 um, what's it? Complacent. Yeah. Like the old lady at the beginning, she sees Georgie at the drain. She goes back in. She hears the scream. She goes out. She sees Georgie's missing and that there's blood dribbling into the drain. And she doesn't look scared. She's just sort of like, oh dear. And she yeah. closes the blinds and goes back indoors. And you're like, what? Yeah. You're going to call the cops? You're going to go and try and help? But of course, the whole point of this is that all all the... Because the thing is, it can it can kill and eat 
adults as well. Yeah. But kids are easier to frighten, which makes them tasty. Because what does he call it? Salting the meat. Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. like kids are easier to get scared, which makes them more delicious. Because he doesn't eat... Flesh isn't what he's after. It's the fear. Although he does like flesh. Though he does like flesh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when, he's, when he's there when Mike's getting beaten up by um, Henry? Yeah, Henry. Yeah, and, and his guys... And he sees Pennywise. Did it, is it me? I think they were trying to show Pennywise was further away. Yeah. To me, it looked like he was really small, but closer. I don't know don't why. Know. Maybe it was just a perspective thing. Because they did that weird thing with him where whenever he was sort of the focus of the frame, they focused on his face mm. and everything else was out of focus or, or purposely, like, shaking. Yeah. Um, and that, it sort of looked to me like he was just tiny in the bushes somewhere, which made me think of the TV movie. I was like, that's something they would have done. And just it's wave- like a tiny Tim Curry, like, sat on a shelf somewhere. Just waving a severed child's arm. Just waving him. it on. Just, hi. Um, oh, God. Just, there's some there's some wonderfully... The, the, I think the most morbid, creepy stuff is the subtle stuff. Yeah. Um, although I really enjoy the big, loud, like, you will be scared now stuff, because it was very Elm Street. It's yeah. Very, I think of it as sort of like... Goosebumps with the safety wheels taken off. Yeah. In that it is it, kind of big and silly in some of its scares. But that's the point. Like these feels, kids wouldn't yeah. be scared by subtlety. These kids kids would be scared by boo. It feels less we're like scared a, of we're scared of bills it, and freaking it feels, it feels less like a <laughs> like horror film and more like a Steven Spielberg film with a nasty street. Poltergeist. Yeah. It feels which yeah, it's a Toby Hooper film. The late Toby Hooper. The late Toby Hooper. Rest in peace. And respect for this film that you probably didn't make. Oh, no, but... let's not go there. Um... <laughs> oh yeah. god! But yeah, it, it reminds me of like Poltergeist. Yeah, because it is like there is big scary, there is scary stuff, and the subtle stuff stuff could be scary, and the big loud stuff could be scary. But ultimately, it's an adventure with a mm. horror filter. Um, that, that's why I think the, the description of Stand by Me meets Nightmare on Elm Street is apt because even though the first Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, is a horror, it has aged in a way where it's a bit goofy. But you're still impressed by the set pieces. Yeah. Because that's another thing with it. Some of the the, 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 the negative reviews that uh, mostly haven't been in print have come from people saying it was just set piece to set piece to set piece. It's like, did you, did you read the book? That's it, a narrative structure. That's a you know, no, but, but like, <laughs> like The book is like this encounter, this encounter. And the yeah. thing is, it's about building up to the point where you, for each encounter does feel like they're getting closer to like not surviving it. And that stuff is like way streamlined in this film yeah. from the book. Like there's so much in the Everyone book. Everyone like, gets one. Encounter, 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 encounter. Everyone gets one. Yeah. Then they all get a big team one. And then um, Beverly gets like a personal visit. Yeah. And then it becomes like, you know, leads into the final proper act, like face off and everything. Which is different from the book, like Beverly getting kidnapped and being the impetus for all the kids to go after it is, mm. is not what happens in the book. But yeah, I think I think um, I think it was I think it was done to sort of play with Hollywood structure and that you know yeah. the damsel in the distress trope. But then of course she gets there and she's like, yeah, no, fuck you, <laughs> I'm actually not scared. You can do nothing to me. But he gives and him the deadlights well, treatment anyway. Well, he completely admits it basically, doesn't he? He's like, yeah, you're right. So that's why he like just basically puts her in a like a trance. She's just sort of dangling there because he's like, I'll get back to you. Like, mm-hmm. I'll get back to you later. I'm not going to let you get away, because if he lets her get away, she could probably figure out a way to kill him. Yeah. So he's like, right, there you go. Stay here. So I think the only reason they did that was, again, because the lads are sort of like, we see, like, you know, the the, the posters and stuff in the room and, and things like that. They're very much into movies. They're a very, they, they're a very movie-attuned group of characters. Yeah, yeah. So to them, it's, your princess is in another castle. It's, do you know what I mean? Mm. The girl's been taken. We've got to get together. I think that was, it was done to play on that. Also, it just, it just works. It's the, it's the Hollywood three act structure. Yeah. Like, it, it, 
they they fit that the this story around that in a way that it does isn't in the book. Um, I'll be interested to see tonally what they do with the sequel. Yeah, where they're all adults. The director said that he doesn't want to go fully into the cosmic no. stuff because I don't think that stuff plays. No, but but there is a way to do it, and I think like you say, if Mike sort of gets yeah. a bit PSD, uh, PTSD and becomes you know a bit of a junkie, so like you could dabble it. Like he could be the one who then looks into it. And starts to find out stuff and, and find, you know what I mean? So you don't, you don't yeah. get, what, what's the title called? Maturin. Maturin, yeah. You don't get all of that, but you definitely get the suggestion that there is something bigger. I think, I think as long as the sequel, I think at the furthest the sequel can go without it feeling too <clears> jarring <throat> is if they just get to the point of, oh, it's an alien, kind of. Yeah. Like if they get to that, then they've done their job. It's like, this isn't just a spooky ghost. This is an other, this is a being from somewhere else. And we're dealing with it. I like the fact the end just becomes a punch up. Yeah, that was cool. Now I have to kill this fucking clown. Yeah, oh, <laughs> that's oh such a God. great line. Because again, it's just like you think, hang on, they're gonna die surely. But then you realise in that as that fight's going on, it's visually cool because he's obviously yeah. as each of them are coming at him, he's changing parts of himself to try and freak that person out just yeah. to just to get a bit of the upper hand but it's not working they're all too mad their faith and belief they're, they're, in each other they're angry is, yeah. at him and they are like they're completely believing in one another to deal with it um so it isn't working and it's nice cuz you get like the mummy callback for ben for benny you get like yeah. you know oh there it is we did we didn't do it in the film but there it is like there's all not and you get the suggestion of the creature that it appears as yeah. in its lair when it it sort of like gets away from, like he scurries away from them because his arms become like big fucking spider limbs for yeah. a second like these sort of crab like things and he scuttles away from them slightly and then like to, his arms sort of turn like, he turns around but they've already caught up to him because they're not they're not letting him go they're yeah. not letting him get away anymore like they're beating the shit out of him um so i liked that and i like i liked how like they replaced the the catapult slingshot with the silver coins with a bolt gun. bolt gun. Yeah, the, the Mike uses to kill sheep on the farm. And they do that, yeah, because he, he kills Georgie. Like, that's his turnaround moment. He yeah. shoots the Georgie hallucination in the head, killing him, because he's like, yeah, Georgie's dead. Like, Georgie's gone. And then he turns back into Pennywise, and then aims at Pennywise, and Mike's like, like it's it's empty. And yeah. Billy shoots. Doesn't matter. And it cracks a hole in Pennywise's head. Doesn't matter if it's empty. Because it's all about belief, mother truckers. Um, it was great. It and then was... we get the chapter one thing at the end. That is the how sequel... you that is how you do it. That is how you do it. You don't yeah. say to everybody, guess what? We're doing a franchise. Yeah. You don't do that. You tell the story, and then you either after that film's done, you announce, yeah, there's a part two, or you do what this one did and go, Hey, people who know the story and know this is just the first half. It's just the first half. The sequel has not been officially green yet lit yet. And Andrew but after the box office take, yeah, Andrew Muschietti's been talking about it, and he's already developing it and working mm. on it, and they've already got Bill Skarsgård locked in for it. Yeah, but it was in his contract for the yeah. first one. Yeah, he's turned around and was like, um, "Yeah, they've not officially greenlit it yet, but they probably should soon." I'm working on it anyway. Here's some ideas for it. Yeah. that I've had because um, we were saying the the biggest loss for the second one is the kids. Yeah, because they're, they're all brilliant. so good, and they are the heart um, and soul of the movie. And casting adult versions of those actors is going to be tricky but he also wants to get moving on the he also wants to get moving on the sequel as soon as possible because he wants to do some flashback stuff with the kids that'd be great so that's how you keep them yeah that's how you keep i I think i said on the night after we watched the film that they should be part of a like one of the hallucinations one of the one of the things illusions because then you get to you get you get to have those kids go hey guys 
you were amazing in the first movie. The second one won't be the same without you. Here are your flashbacks. Like, we're going to give you guys some more scenes. Oh, and also, while we're at it, we'll give you some fun stuff to play with. Now you yeah. get to be scary. Like, do some scary shit, guys. Here you go. <laughs> um, what was it? Uh, oh, who's, who's the actress who plays Beverly? She, she, Sophia Lillis. Sophia Lillis. She, who's, she suggested Jessica Chastain. Which is a good, really great. To play great older Beverly. Because yeah. again, like, they're all, they are all 3940 in the second yeah. half of the story. Um, Perfect age, really. And just just saying, I think she's in her forties, so like yeah. that'd be like perfect. Again, she's worked with the director because he made Mama, yeah, which wasn't amazing, but was visually interesting, and she was brilliant in it. This is only his second feature. I know, right? Uh, uh, it's very. It, it, it's only his second. It's only his uh, second part one feature. Well, um, <laughs> excuse me. And do you have Prince Albert in a can? I haven't seen a lot of. Ca- you do. Shut up. I'm so sorry. I haven't seen a lot of casting going around for. Anyone else really? Chris Pratt's come up a couple of times as Ben. I about Ben. The um, only reason they're suggesting that is because Benny in the second half of the story is sort of like he's not a big guy anymore. No, he's, he's like sort in of, really, really good shape. He's and, really yeah. trim and everything. And they're going, well, Chris Pratt, Chris did, Pratt that. did that. It's like cool. Are you the same people who wanted Brian Cranston for Lex Luthor just because he's he was bald, bald <laughs> at that point in his career? Is that why? Um, is that why, guys? Is that why? You, is that why you want it? Is that why you want it? Okay, yeah. that's the wrong reason to cast a role. Yeah. Now too right. that's not denying Pratt could probably bring that, but here's the thing: Benny wasn't sort of the Chris Pratt character. No, type. no, no. Um, that's not to say Chris Pratt couldn't obviously, you know, play it differently. He can play the roles differently because he's in he's in um freaking uh, Hurt Locker and stuff, and he, he plays stuff differently. Uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Zero Dark Thirty, that's the one. Yeah, Somewhere with guns. Um, but yeah, like, he's not Chris Pratt in everything, but at the same time, I think your trick is, if you're going to cast this one, you don't cast your mega stars. No. You no. cast actors like Chastain, who are definitely in the A-list, but they're not the marquee people. They're not the people that you sell the movie on. Mm. You cast enough interesting, great actors like that, and the people go, Oh, that's a good ensemble. Because let's face it, when it comes to selling part two to the cinema, like cinema going public, the clown's going to do all the selling. What about Patrick Wilson for Bill? Ooh! He's a great example as well. And he and does he, loads of horror. He's dabbled in this genre and knows yeah. exactly how to play it with a level of warmth and like realism. Um, the, the Patrick Ritchie, Wilson for Bill! Patrick, uh, uh, that's a good casting choice. Adult Richie should be... Seth Green. Um, <laughs> just no, do it Seth go full the, circle he's got the dark hair but he should he so should be, go full circle do it should be <laughs> Rich, Seth Green was Kid Richie in the miniseries make him adult Richie in the movie I think Andy Samberg's got the perfect look for it but I don't like Andy Samberg yeah, yeah um, that's a really good yeah uh, yes because <laughs> he, he kind of looks like a grown up Finn Wolfhard that's a good um, that's a good sell and a good um Crashing of the entire idea at the same time. Yes. Good work. Uh, good work, what sir. Growing up, Eddie, would be, they need someone tiny good. like Eddie. They need someone like small and nervy. Um, um, who would be good? Um, I have no fucking idea. Because um, it's, tr- it's hard to try and narrow down your head. Actors who are in their mid to late 30s slash late 40s who could play 40 year olds. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's tricky, isn't it? Hmm, meaty, meaty paste and yeah. dirt and fill. That's something to think on. That's part of the reason why you need to hurry up and film it as well. Because yeah. whoever's playing Billy needs to have at least one sequence 
with Georgie, and Georgie's gonna look exactly the same. Yeah. And that kid is like seven, so mm. he's gonna his voice and like appearance is gonna change very soon. You need to hurry the fuck up. Yeah. So, I imagine that would be the very first thing they shoot the moment they get greenlit. It's like we're shooting the, the stuff, stuff with Georgie. All the kid stuff. All the kid yeah. stuff. All the stuff with Georgie because they need to look. Because it was going to be back to back, wasn't it initially? Yeah, it when it came from Nagabas, back. it was it was attached. Yeah, to make uh, sure, I guess it would have been a casting thing in terms of the younger yeah. actors. I think I think they kept all the younger actors from the cast for this. From um, from the, was... from from the most uh, recent iteration yeah. of of, um, of that, because I was going to say like not if they cast it in 2009. <laughs> it's like they... look at all these 12 year olds played by 20 odd year olds. They lost Will Poulter. Will Poulter was, was Will Poulter was Pennywise, but because um, it uh, because it was scheduling. taking yeah. yeah too long. It was because it was taking too long and it wasn't quite matching up yet. He had to pick, didn't he? And he was yeah. like, I'm picking that. And then by the time they were like, we're going into production. He's like, I can't. I'm committed now. Sorry, guys. I think Will Poulter would have been quite interesting. Yeah, he's got. He's, um, he's, he's a good, good actor. actor. He's a very good actor. And again, um, like like Bill Skarsgård, he's got a very um, unique physicality yeah. and a very unique face as well. But, but, but Bill like, he, like ne- is... neither of them are yeah. like sort of template faces. Like they both have very different proportion kind of expressions yeah. and stuff, which which adds that air of. Oh, this is a bit different, and it means mm. makeup-wise, you can obviously play around properly as well. You can you can do it like mm. um, Bill Skarsgård in this. Bill Skarsgård's a very like he's got quite wide eyes, but they're quite sunken. Yeah. So there is you know there's that highlight of the darkness around Pennywise's eyes, which is then enhanced by the fact they make his irises bright yellow, <laughs> and they only change from moment to moment. Yeah. Oh God, did you notice that? Because the deadlights in the book are orange, aren't they? Uh, they're, they're like why? a fiery. I'm not sure. It is, it's it's been a while since I've read it. So. I'm sure it's the TV show that made them white, like yeah. just straight up white. Yeah, in the book, I'm sure they describe it as like a fiery orange. Because there's that moment when uh, Mike's having his first encounter and the burning doors opened, and it's clearly Pennywise like behind the yeah the, the sheets in the kitchen, and his eyes are just burning orange. Um, the eye thing's cool because again, I, I've read an article. Someone spotted that. In any close but Pennywise, his eyes are always slightly off kilter. Yeah. Whenever, obviously, um, Bill Skarsgård can maintain it. Yeah, like, it's hard to do if you're moving around all the time. But like, his eyes are always slightly off kilter, and in most of the close-up shots, the eye that's off kilter is looking down the camera. Yeah, it's really cool. That's freaky. That's some freaky shit. Uh, the the thing I saw again in an article that mentioned that in every scene, I'm, well, I think I'm going to rewatch it this week. Every scene where uh, the stuff's about to go down. There is an adult character somewhere in the vicinity who's either looking at the camera or the kid. Yeah, the, I noticed that in the background of, of the Ben flipping through the through the book. The woman in the, the library, woman in the background. Who, the think, one who speaks to him uh, earlier. I think in the it's scene. a different woman. I'm sure. I thought it was the one who spoke to him. No, I think it's scene. a different woman. I think she's wearing. Okay. But um, yeah. And then when he goes downstairs, they, they don't. Nothing comes of it. Yeah. But she's just there. Yeah. And then she's not. Well, she's there, but then she's acting normal again when he moves. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Oh, the headless kid—that was freaky. That was that freaky. was good. That was really freaky. I like that a lot. Um, Henry, like they they hammer home that like he's a bully because he's got a fucked up home life. But at the same yeah. time, they don't make you sympathise with. Oh him. no, it's not sympathetic. They make at you. All. They make you go, "Oh my god, poor kid," but you still want him to go down yeah. or suffer some kind of horrific fate. Uh, we were talking about this the other day, Lou and I. So in the book, Henry plays a part in their adult life as yeah. well because he gets blamed for the murders or the missing. Mis- he's, he's committed after 
Everything goes down. He's, he, ends up in, he ends up in a in an asylum because he's in like a semi catatonic state yeah, as well, yeah. briefly, isn't he? But it, but he's sort of is he isn't he blamed for the I think some missing it, yeah. kids? Um, and Pennywise basically comes to him in an adult and is like, "They're back! Like the kids who did this to you, kill them for me, kill them for me." Uh, here's a clown with a dog's head. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite the way it yeah. goes down in the book. But yeah, you helped me once, remember? Oh look, I'm the moon. Um, I'm the moon. I'm, I'm the moon. I'll kill you all. I'm your, I'm your, is it? Look, I'm your every nightmare. I'm your worst dream come true. I'll drive you crazy. And, and I'll kill you all. I'm the moon. I'm the moon. Um, fish finger as big as a garage. Um, he, but like, but like, Henry comes back to play a part. Now in this movie, Henry sort of does that in present day yeah. and then plummets down the well. I would imagine he's dead. I don't think so. I think Henry... Because that, that means... That implies that there is a lower tier. Of he hits sewer layer, every right? wall on the way down. Yes, he does. Doesn't mean he's dead. He could be barely clinging to life. Pennywise goes further down when he retreats yeah, at the end. True. And he's severely... He's gravely injured. And the way the film does it, the film doesn't say they've killed him, but... Definitely, they've defeated him. Like, he ain't coming back. Yeah. At least in this cycle of his thingy. Um, what's not to say that he's not going to have something to snack on to refresh himself with Ugh. when he gets down there? Ugh. Think about that. Ugh. What if he What if he basically just... Like, so instead of Henry being in an asylum in part two, yeah. they find him Ugh. in the sewers. Because he's basically just a sustain a sustenance for Pennywise. Uh, Think about that. He can torture him for uh, twenty seven years. Uh, he can freak him out for twenty seven years and feed off of him. Because when he goes into hibernation, crazy. but when he's gravely injured, he's gonna need something to make himself feel better. Freaky, right? I I put it out there. That's what they're gonna do with Henry. That's why he plummeted down the well. Let's let's get these emails done while I ruminate on that. Also, um, can I point out something that I felt really clever about, and then I realised the rest of the internet had already pointed it out. What's that? After we saw it, it hit me that it'd been twenty-seven years between adaptations. Well done, Christopher. I was like, oh my god, that's really freaky. And then I noticed everyone else had mentioned it already. Yeah. yeah. Well done. Come back anytime. <laughs> right. Um, let's get these emails. We've only got a couple of emails because we're recording slightly early this week. Um, Kiss me, fat boy. Sorry, I just want to watch the TV miniseries again now. Me- <laughs> I would like to watch it. I would not like to hear you quote it for the rest of this podcast. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay? <laughs> right. <laughs> Jesus. Give me a voice for Sean. How long's the email? Uh, like one paragraph. Tim Curry's Pennywise the Dancing Clown. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> Hiya, Georgie. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Big Van Dam boys. <laughs> nice. What TV shows do you think are underrated and or overlooked? I think I, Zombie, is overlooked. It's not just a zombie show. It's a zombie comedy procedural crime drama show. Is how I think you would describe it. And then the zombies are just normal people, but only a bit pale or unless they're attacked or go hungry and then they go feral. (laughs) 
It's about a medical student, Liv Moore, who at a boat party is infected by a zombie virus and now works as an assistant medical who eats the brains of murder victims and uses the crime scene interrogations and interviews to trigger visions which show Liv moments of the victim's life connected to the murder or the murder itself. And this happens every week. Also, when she eats the brain, Liv takes... One personality traits, and the show really plays with that, having Liv act like an old man, someone very posh, and a fret boy. <laughs> That's it. There's no sign off. It's Who's that from? Sean. Say beep beep, Sean. Beep beep, Sean. There we go. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Um, um, I've what I've seen of I Zombie makes me want to watch it. I think it's on Netflix now yeah, as well. Is, uh, Mike Aldred worked on the comic, right? Yeah, but I don't think the show has much relation to the comic. Okay, because that's what I, I'm aware of it because of the comic book, and I'd, I'd seen the clips o- of the show. The only reason I've not watched it is just because, uh, yeah, I, I guess I have overlooked it because there's so much zombies. The not so much anymore. They're kind of crazy died off now. But the, the point yeah. where it came out, there was just so much zombie stuff. It almost suffered like, from having just, the title "I Zombie." Yeah, like if like, it had a different mm-hmm. title based on the is it Image Comics, like based on the comic uh, book series "I Zombie." Vertigo, Vertigo Zombie, yeah. Um, Overlooked TV series. I've got a whole shelf of shit behind me. Maybe, maybe there's something here. Also procedurals. Like, yeah. Another procedural. Um, <laughs> oh, another procedural. Let's make Lucifer into a procedural. Oh, is it a procedural? Yeah. Oh, for fuck's sake. Why? Who needs that? Who needs that, fam? Lucifer. Fam, who needs that? Um, fam. What TV series? Fam, who needs that? I don't need... I don't need another TV series. <laughs> no, um, I don't know many overlooked TV series because I've overlooked them. Very good point. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. I, for me, shows that I used to be into that weren't as widely watched here in the UK have, since the internet age has properly come in, been discovered. Yeah. Like Buffy did well over here and everything. It was on BBC Two, so it was yeah. you know, it was on terrestrial. But it like, it wasn't something that everyone was talking about as it continued. I was. Well, no, you were. I don't know. You were. I didn't know you at that point. Well, yeah. Two thousand three. How old was I? I was twelve when it finished. Too young. How old are you when it finished? Too young by fourteen. Must uh, yeah, fourteen or fifteen. Mm, Blimey, O'Reilly. Is a TV show that is uh, worth checking out. Blimey, O'Reilly. There's only one season. <laughs> um, There's one. It's not real. one episode. Nathan Barley. There you go. Nathan Barley. It's very good. Watch Nathan Barley. That's a bit of a head trip, really. Sugar Ape. Um, <laughs> fucking everyone's a bell end in that show. I mean, that's the point. That's so the point of the show. Um, God, what else? I'm trying to think. Um, it's, it's, it's seen as a cultural, like, touchstone now, but so many people who reference it and, like, make the bloody sound effects of the theme tune and everything have never seen it. Actively seek out the Twilight Zone. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do it. Treat yourself. It's like half-hour masterclasses in short-form drama. It's brilliant. And every now and again, there's one that will really stick with you. And every now and again, there's one that will make you piss your pants. Because it hasn't aged well. <laughs> but it's never, a, it's never a bad piece of television. Yeah. It, like The Twilight Zone is worth it. And if you want to get even more obscure... Seek out the 80s one after you've watched the 50s one. <laughs> That's weird. That's overlooked because it's like... It's like a who's who of modern cinema. Like, yeah. actors who got big in the 90s and 2000s 
star in this low budget revival of a, of a loved, beloved TV show. Yeah. Like Morgan Freeman is in one of them. Like Bruce Willis, but before they were Morgan Freeman Bruce Willis, and Bruce, Bruce Willis. Willis. Bruce Willis, Michael Jackson. Um, <laughs> Moby. 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 Michael Stipe. Moby. Moby. Uh, the Adam and Joe show. You yes, the Adam and Joe show. You can't find it in its entirety on video or DVD, but you can find it online. Like a, like a lot of sort of comedy shows from that era. Mm. Like it's really, really hard to find. Channel 4, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, Channel 4. So like you I've think they would have you think they would have put it out by now in some form. Um no. maybe when Joe Cornish releases his next movie they it might, might be a license the bullet. Thing. I don't know. Maybe. Oh it could be because like Star Wars action figures and things like that. Yeah. Maybe it's something as simple as like, yeah. you know, we have to get clearance for certain sounds and Maybe. But the Adam and Joe show is definitely one worth um seeking out. It's overlooked nowadays. True that. Um True Dad. Yeah, nothing comes to mind for me because uh, overlooked underrated. Underrated. Batman Brave and the Bold. Batman Brave and the Bold is underrated. It's very good. It's underrated by Batman fans because they just go, oh, it's daft. It's yes. great. It's, it is daft. And it's great. Yeah. Um, it, it, like Along with the Arkham adaptations, it's in recent years the most, like, until the Lego Batman movie, I suppose, the most beloved and true to the character version of Batman out there. And it's silly as fuck. Mm. It's great. True. True. I love it. I like the Brave and the Bold. <laughs> My hammers of justice. Um, <laughs> did he give them a name? I can't remember. He just he collectively calls his fists the hammers of justice. The hammers of justice. Um, <laughs> the best version of Aquaman for years. <laughs> Outrageous! Okay, <laughs> final email. <laughs> Hi, big damn boy. Oh my god. Last my week. uncle. Oh no, Tom Monty. I completely forgot to ask about the new Black Mirror Season 4 trailer. And then you said that you are both still yet to finish Season 3? <laughs> Savage man. 3? It's not. Cool. <laughs> I'm saying it. <laughs> the latter half of that season has some really good ones. Apart from Episode 5, which I'm not a huge fan of. Are you both still where you were in terms of progression through that season since last week? Yes. Yeah. I've got so many things to do. So many many other things that we're having to do and concentrate on. The more you tell me to watch it, the less likely I am to watch it. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna do it this week. I think I'm gonna catch up on it this week. I'll try. Just, just, just the next week I can do. (laughs) I can say I've watched it, and then everyone will stop asking us, and then you'll watch it because it'll stop being on your radar. Yeah. You'll stumble across it on your list and you'll go, oh yeah, well, Netflix keep hiding my list. Yeah, they keep making it like 18 down. Yeah. Which is really stupid and continue watching sometimes ends up like 25 freaking columns down. You're yeah. like, shouldn't that be the top one? Shouldn't continue no, watching because the top you need one. to watch the latest new Netflix original thing. Are they ever going to finish The Get Down? I think it got cancelled. It did, but did they finish part two? I don't think so. Uh, that's weird. So um, they've got a thing called the Get Down Part One. It'll always be the Get Down Part One. Just sat there. We'll always have Part One. Um, <laughs> Joel Schumacher's the Get Down. Uh, Baz Luhrmann's the Get Down. Uwe Boll's the Get Down. If not, I can't remember which one of you said you'd only got up to Episode Two. Episode Three is certainly one to look forward to. Definitely my favorite. That's of the, the season. That's the social media one, isn't it? The episode. One? To no episode one is social media. The... No, no, no. The one where someone like gets stalked, I think, through their thing. Oh they, yeah, they criminate. Oh, yeah. They did put something out, and then yeah, someone's yeah. got all of the incriminating yeah. thing, and it's about sort of like, like the pressure, yeah, and everything. 
Episode 2 is just a lot of fun. It's anyway. a spider with a head. Anyway, back to season <laughs> 4. Out of the six released episode titles of Archangel, USS Callister, Crocodile, Hang the DJ, Metalhead, and Black Museum, which stands out to you the most? Uh, none of them, because they're all phrases or words without context. Um, <laughs> Although, interesting phrases and words. Yes. But, but they don't offer anything. Without context. Uh... I'll be brutally honest, all of them interest me. Because I'm interested to see what Black Mirror is going to do with its second full budgeted season. Yes. I can't recall if you said you'd watch the trailer, but if you have, what did you think? And what have you heard about season four that entices you the most? Um, the fact that it's Black Mirror season four. Yeah, the fact that we've, yeah. we're getting, it, it appears, if we get a season five, that we're getting a Black Mirror season every year. Which breaks the mould, because before that it was like once every three years. Like the first series came out, yeah. and there was a big old gap. Than the second series. Well, Charlie Booker's not writing them all as well, that's the thing. Though. Yeah, because well, he's show running it, isn't he? But yeah. in, in the traditional sense of he's looking over it and going over the scripts and talking story ideas and everything, whereas yeah. the executive producers are producing it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just the thing that the thing that excites me the most about Series 4, like the trailer's vague, so there's not stuff that's really grabbing me in particular, but it's just the fact that we're getting a new series so soon after the last one. This is great. Mm. Like, I, which it doesn't, it won't outstay its welcome because it's only six episodes per season now. So that's a nice digestible chunk. One yeah. six episode season a year, I think that's a pretty good rate for Black Mirror. Um, which means now, oh my god. Yeah, it's, 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 it's completely, I was gonna say, like, the original run of Black Mirror was series one, two, and the Christmas special, are seven episodes. Mm-hmm. So we're already, like, way over triple now we've, we've tripled our Black Mirror that's great um, that makes me happy good you, television it's good anthology TV have you ever watched Black Books yes I recently finished rewatching it and I've forgotten how funny it is when I compare it to a lot of shows and I love many oh that's filthy what are your thoughts if you've watched it I've seen a little bit of it. It's fine. Like, I, it's, it's pretty good. I really it's like fine. it. I really um, like it. I just like Dylan Moran being drunk and hating the world. Yeah. I like the Kevin Eldon character in that one where he's cleaning out. Oh, God, that episode's great. The one where they, they house it for that bloke and they, they drink like his rare wine. <laughs> and they accidentally drink the one that's like thinking by the Pope and stuff. Like, the Pope. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're out of the shop because Kevin Eldon's cleaning it. And he's this character who's like an uber cleaner. He's in this crisp, light, light blue suit. And there's just this <laughs> freaky moment when he's first examining it. And he just goes, Your cups. You have very dusty cups. <laughs> I want to clean your dusty cups from the inside out. And he's like, Oh, God, this oh, is freaky. No, no, no. Um, and no, the woman, Peter Finney, which is that ex, ex schoolmate of Franz who's now in voiceover. And he does like the speaking clock and his voice gets her off. And stuff. So she phones him up, and she's just basically masturbating while on the phone to him. <laughs> she's like, "Fran, are you okay, Fran?" And she's like, oh. Oh. "He's like, you don't sound all right. Should I come over, Fran? I'll come, Fran. I'm coming, Fran." <laughs> it's like it's so, it's great. It, it, it's a weird beast because the first series, it's a, it's a Graham Lynham co-creation. The yeah. first series is mostly written by him. Yeah. And then he he leaves it and Dylan Moran takes over. Mm-hmm. But it keeps the tone. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's like this weird... I, I like to think of it as like Father Ted and IT Crowd is Graham Linehan's like sort of 
TV legacy. Mm. Black Books is this fun little diversion in the middle. <laughs> I really, I really like it, and I really, I really like um, Bill Bailey in it. And Tamsin Grieg and Bill Bailey and Dylan Moran make a great cast, but like Bill Bailey as Manny is is so much fun. Well, it, Bernard, it, it's hot in the worm. It's it's funny you should mention it crowd because. On the topic of comedies, oh, what about the It Crowd? If the It Crowd, the, 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 the Pennywise is working in a... uh, If you have, <laughs> Tim what's your favourite thing about Matt Berry's Douglas Ring? He's my least favourite character in it. No, because Matt Berry's better in Toast. Oh, Matt Berry's great in Toast. And Snuffbox. He's freaking great in Snuffbox. And Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. I've watched a bit more season two of Toast. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows you're the best Highwinds actor in Britain. <laughs> It's Jane. She's back on the acid. <laughs> I think my favourite thing Matt Berry's ever done, though, weirdly, is Matt Berry does. Yeah, dot, 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 yeah. The, the Bob Mortimer produced they're really, shorts. They're really funny. Um, like, d- 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 oh, he's Douglas Renham, isn't he? Because um, yeah. his, his dad, Chris Morris, is Denim Renham. Denim Renham. Um, <laughs> Matt Berry's character. I enjoy Matt Berry's character, but... But it's weird. It feels like a Matt Berry character's been plonked into Father Ted. It just feels really odd. Yeah. Like, that he's in every episode, like, from series, middle of series two onwards. It feels really strange. Uh, whereas, um, every other character I really enjoy. <laughs> like, I really, I really like the IT crowd. It's, it's, it's one of those that stopped at the right time as well. Like, series one went out with not much fanfare. Series two started to get traction. Series three did really well. Series four was really popular. And they disappeared because they were all off being very successful doing other things. Uh, yep. And then they went, yeah, we're not going to be able to do another series. Let's get back together and do one last one. There's one last, like, hour-long episode. Yeah. And it's... That is... I think that's the best one, actually. I really like the workout in. I revisited that the other week. Hmm. I'm disabled. But, um... <laughs> Oh God, just the fact that it's the Faulty Towers thing of it stacking up, like the, the, how far they've gone into it, all these things going wrong just stacks up. I mean, yeah, comedy like that could be, could be really fun. And yeah. then there's every possible payoff in the last two minutes. But, um, in fact, speaking of Nathan Barley, Nicholas Burns like coming in and being like, he's not disabled, well, he's joking, he's Irish, they're always joking, it's half one. He's like pulling him out of the chair. Um, oh, God. but yeah, um, uh, but, but, um, that last episode's brilliant because it is them going we're just going to dump everything that makes this show work into one final go and here it is yeah and it's really really yeah. fun and that in fact that's the one episode where I really like Matt Berry because it's the one where he's doing Secret Millionaire <laughs> and he's just like he goes to a house party with one of his employees at the youth centre and he's just like in full on like freaking Baroque like, like face painting and wig and all that it's just <laughs> I think he's driving along with these twelve-year-olds in a car, and they're all stoned and getting drunk. It's this montage of listening to different songs. The police officer pulls him over. He's like, "Don't worry, don't worry, I've got this." Fucking put it away. He's putting the drink away. And he opens the window. This plume of weed smoke just drifts out of the car. He's like, "I'm sorry, officer. Yes, I can explain. I'm doing secret millionaire." <laughs> it's just like, the hell is this? IT crowd's a lot of fun. I really like the IT crowd. And again, like they tried to remake it in America. They did a pilot, and it failed miserably. Yeah. Like every part, well, not every, not all of them fail. Shameless did all right. But that's not a sitcom. Shameless, yeah. Shameless is a drama, so they just replaced. The Office only did all right after they retooled it into its own. I thing. have you to thank for my love of that yeah. because I, you you said like have you been watching The Office? I think we were just like we were up late at yours once, yeah. and you were like, "Have you seen The Office?" And I went, "No." I, I think I watched some series one and just it was a kind of a shit copy of the British one. Yeah, and you yeah. went, yeah, you've done it all wrong. 
and you skip to mid-series two. It was like an office party episode. Yeah, yeah. And that was it. Like, I, I then picked it up after that from, like, the next couple of episodes. Shorter after. episodes, different structure, flash out the characters. They are their own characters. Yeah. They're no longer avatars of the British cast. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but IT Crowd was one where they did a pilot where they did the same thing they did with Red Dwarf. With the Red Dwarf pilot, Yeah. Robert Llewellyn was Crichton in the American one. Yeah. Because uh, he was in episode one of their version. And it just doesn't work. Like, Lister's, like, a big buff guy. Yeah, and, yeah, it's not It just didn't work. Um... Uh, an IT crowd made the mistake of Moss was Richard Iowardi. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. It's just like, what, were you just going to keep... It's like Broadchurch yeah. and Grace Point. It's like, David Tennant's in both. He's the same, he's just got a different accent. Like, what's the point? Yeah. What is the point of this? Make your own stuff, or just show our stuff. Anyway. And IT crowd, um, like, got a big following over there as well, when people eventually discovered it. Yeah, because it's good. <laughs> um, also... I know you two are a week behind in terms of the Rick and Mortys, but the most recent the episode... Rick and Mortys, that sounds like a disease. ...which is available in HD on Daily Motion, is just something <laughs> else. Brace yourself for an amazing time, Atlantis. Have a whale of a time in between now and the next time. Tom Monty. Beep beep Tom Monty <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it for this week. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been beautiful. We've been we've been straight up arousing. Uh if you want to get in touch at Big Damn Contact not at Big Dumb Contact. Big Dumb Contact at gmail.com. At Big Dumb Cast on Twitter. Uh, you can catch us on YouTube, of course, the Big Damn channel. And keep up to date with regular posts, um, compilations and essays on bigdamblog.tumblr.com. You little shit. You little lovely buggers. You little hairy monkey knees. Uh, and until then, we'll, uh, we'll just sit here awkwardly in silence. Yeah. With you. Mm, let me give it a try. Fucking hell, this will be a thing to say. Hi, you! Oh, God, he's hiring again!